Good morning. Today is Wednesday, May 17th, 2023. This is a regular meeting of the Building Inspection Commission. I would like to remind everyone to please mute yourself if you're not speaking. The first item on the agenda is roll call. President Beto. Commissioner Newman. Um, Commissioner, Commissioner Shaddix. Here. Commissioner Summer. Here. Um, Commissioners Alexander Toot and Tam are excused, and we have a quorum. And I also just uh, wanted to make a note uh, that there is a correction to the agenda, um, and item nine should be deleted. It was separated into two items, items 10 and 11. So for members of the public who are um, calling or listening in, the WebEx web, uh, webinar, the password is 0517, and the access code is 2598-901-0599. Phone numbers 415-655-0001. And um, next we have our land acknowledgement. Just one moment. The Building Inspection Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatish Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatish Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatish Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as first peoples. Thank you. Um, next, we have item two, President's opening remarks. Um, good morning, everybody. Good morning to the Department of Building Inspection, the public, and fellow commissioners. Um, last Thursday, we had a pretty lengthy uh, meeting, joint commission meeting, and I wanted to thank um, DBI, Michael Christensen at the Permit Center and the Planning Department for all their work towards that joint meeting. Um, it's something that um, President Tanner and I had spoken about last summer when we first discussed, you know, putting, to, uh, uh, organizing a meeting with both uh, building and planning and having that come to fruition last Thursday was, um, you know, something to mark as, as um, significant for this um, commission and also the department. I also want to thank the AIA and its members who spoke last Thursday um, and their support and also with their suggestions on how to improve the permit process. Um, moving towards legislation this summer, now is a good time to start um, looking at how we track our metrics bet uh, between, to compare the before and afters uh, for uh, uh, the site permit reform. Uh, based on how, how things are being streamlined and the timeline it takes to, to, per, to uh, uh, approve a project. Um, anyway, I'm looking forward to the continued uh, discussions and advancements on that. Um, and with that, that concludes my comments as president. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any public comment on item two? I'm seeing none. Item three, general public comment. 
the BIC will take public comment on matters within the commission's jurisdiction that are not part of this agenda. I'm seeing none. Is there any public comment remotely? Okay. Uh, next, we have item four, uh, nomination subcommittee. I'll uh, read, read both uh, A and B at the same time. Uh, 4A is update from the nomination subcommittee, and 4B is discussion and possible action to appoint a member to the Code Advisory Committee, um, term to expire August 10, 2025, and the member seeking appointment is Paul Staley for the member at large seat. Uh, the nominations committee met earlier this month to discuss um, two applications that we had received for the Code Advisory Committee. Um, we have one appointment, which I'll talk about in one second, uh, one appointment to recommend, I should say. Uh, the vacancies that remain um, in our, on our radar here are for the Code Advisory Committee, we have a person qualified in historic preservation, um, and for which we actually do have a, an applicant that we will meet again <clears throat> um, soon to discuss and hopefully recommend someone to fill that position. Uh, we also have two vacancies for the Board of Examiners, a tenant who is licensed or registered as an architect, civil or structural engineer, and also a licensed general contractor, so two seats for Board of Examiners. Um, we will be sending out um, email or contacting the organizations that we generally do to solicit interest to see if we can fill those positions, which we did late last year, and we'll, we'll be doing that outreach again. Um, and then item... For B, um, we had uh, two applicants for the member at large seat for the Code Advisory Committee, um, and our group <coughs> uh, both were qualified and would have been good fits for this position. Um, our committee has selected Paul, or selected to recommend Paul Staley, who, who is, I see joining us today. Thank you. Um, Paul Staley has lived in San Francisco for 45 years. He's had a long career in real estate and finance um, that's involved um, oversight and acquisition and remodeling <coughs> of many single-family homes as well as a variety of other things. Um, he's now retired and he serves on the board of multiple nonprofit or has recently served on the board of multiple nonprofit organizations. Um, and we felt that his experience and qualifications would be a good addition to the Code Advisory Committee in the member-at-large seat. So our group's recommendation was to appoint him for that seat. And did you, were there any additional comments from the commissioners? I want to personally thank um, Paul Staley for volunteering. Um, I do know Paul Staley personally. Um, and one of the things about being on the commission is um, seeing old friends but making new ones on um, here at City Hall and with fellow commissioners. But um, I commend your desire to serve on this um, Code Advisory Commission. Thank you for your, um, for your time and, and effort in, into that. Thank you. There's, um, are there no other commissioner comments? Is there a motion to recommend Mr. Staley? Motion to recommend to, uh, to appoint him to the seat, uh, the Code Advisory Committee seat, member at large. Motion to appoint Paul Staley to the Code Advisory Commission. Second. Okay, so there's a motion and a second, and I'll do the roll call vote. Um, President Beto? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Newman? Yes. 
Commissioner Shaddix? Yes. And Commissioner Summer? Yes. Um, that motion carries unanimously. My apologies, forgot, is there any public comment on the motion? And um, seeing none, then the motion carries. And congratulations, uh, <laughs> Mr. Staley. Um, if you would like to come forward, please, to the podium. I will administer the oath of office, and so you could just repeat after me. <clears throat> I, Paul Staley. I, Paul Staley. Do solemnly swear or affirm. Do solemnly swear and affirm. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution of the State of California. And the Constitution of the State of California. Against all enemies. Against all enemies. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance. That I will bear true faith and allegiance. To the Constitution of the United States. To the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution of the State of California. And the Constitution of the State of California. That I take this obligation freely. That I take this obligation freely. Without any mental reservation. Without any mental reservation. Or purpose of evasion. Or purpose of evasion. And that I will well and faithfully discharge. And that I will well and faithfully discharge. The duties upon which I'm about to enter. The duties upon which I'm about to enter. And during such time. And during such time. As I hold the office. As I hold the office. Of a member of the Code Advisory Committee. Of a, uh, hold the office of a member of the Code Advisory Committee. Member at large seat. Member at large seat. Of the city and county of San Francisco. Of the city and county of San Francisco. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. <clears throat> uh, I just want to thank the nominating committee for the nomination and thank the commission for the approval of that. And I look forward to working with you all. So thanks. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So um, next we have item five, discussion and possible action regarding Board of Supervisors ordinance. File number 230-374, amending the building code to outline the site permit application process define and limit the scope of building official review of site permits and require simultaneous hey. interdepartmental hey. review of site permits oh, in addition to other requirements. Hi, President Beto, commissioners. Um, usually the department uh, presents first on a legislative item, but considering that Supervisor Safai is here, I defer my time to him to uh, present first. Sounds like a plan to me. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, commissioners. Good morning, director, um, those in attendance. Uh, thank you for hearing this item, and thank you for working with me to schedule it. I know there were some scheduling uh, issues to try and get this on, and so I appreciate the flexibility. Um, as you know, uh, creating housing and opening a small business and getting a per permit in San Francisco is not easy. We have a lot of different layers, a lot of different requirements. Um, that have built over the years. And according to a most recent review of the San Francisco Chronicle, the typical applicant currently waits a staggering 627 calendar days uh, before obtaining a full building permit from the city to construct a multifamily housing project, and 861 days before gaining the same approval for a single family residence. That's not counting the time that some applicants take, often a year or longer, to clear the early stages of planning approval um, before applying for the building permit. Again, in the most recent Chronicle article, 
uh, investigation citywide, the medium approval time for permits has increased 83% since 2012. So we have to recognize in the face of all this, we don't make it easy for applicants uh, in San Francisco. Yet there are issues with our planning code requirements and sometimes it's with Public Works or PG&E. Um, I think everyone knows the problems and, and hurdles with PG&E and it's a constant struggle. But time and again, when, I, when we talk to homeowners uh, in my district, small builders, um, small business owners, anyone involved, uh, architects, others, on how we can improve the process, it keeps coming back to the site permit. And I believe San Francisco is one of the only counties in, this, in the state of California that actually has that. Um, many other counties, uh, almost all, do not. They talk about how they would <clears throat> have to go through a detailed review process twice, not just once, and how over time the requirements that have been added on to the site permit process have continued to get more and more and more detailed. That's almost exactly what's asked for in, in the building addendums. So it's redundant, it's unnecessary, and it doesn't improve uh, performance or public uh, confidence. And it doesn't help to address our housing crisis, uh, which I think we all agree is, is extreme in our city. Um, so I've been working on this process for over two years. We've engaged with the department. We've been in many conversations about how we can improve that process. In fact, in last year, we asked uh, during the budget process to have a joint position created that would be shared between the planning department and the building department to review streamlining and look at how we can improve the process. Um, and also gotten a lot of input from architects, uh, builders, small business owners as we crafted this legislation. So what's before you today um, essentially reiterates the scope of the site permit is to be limited for only preliminary review and constructural and schematic design for proposed construction. It specifies in the code exactly what is required to be submitted for a site permit. It requires it to be reviewed simultaneously by departments, not concurrently. Um, and it prevents a department from withholding a site permit in order to conduct a detailed review, which often has happened, um, and as you know. We keep the process the same. We ask for DBI to still be the lead agency um, that issues the site permit and routes it to different departments. And we believe that the experience and expertise that DBI holds is important for it to be retained within uh, this department. And we do that for a lot of reasons. You have the existing staff, the existing expertise, the existing infrastructure. So we want to build on that. We don't want to shift it over to an entirely new department. We want to retain the existing fee levels that people are accustomed to and used to interacting with for small business owners, homeowners, small builders, builders, and others. And we don't want to increase the opportunity for more appeals. And that's also something that often, as you know, slows the process down. I want to thank Director O'Riordan and his team um, for the work they've done uh, with us. We understand that he issued a, a memorandum on site permit criteria uh, to begin to explicitly explain um, what is requested of applicants. But I think the important point here is that um, regardless of the bulletin, to put it in the code gives a, a, an extreme level of assurity. And from my experience over the last 20 years of working in this city and working with builders and others, you hear over and over again, if it's not in the code, then there's always room for interpretation. And that happens often in the field. You hear it over and over again. If it's not in the code, 
there's a lot of leeway and a lot of interpretation. So we, we believe that putting it in the code is an important step, and that's why we took the process of crafting this legislation. Um, want to thank also my co-sponsor, Supervisor Melgar, former Building uh, and Planning Commissioner, um, who absolutely is extremely experienced and understanding. want to thank President Beto for spending the time with us. We spent a considerable amount of time going line by line over the legislation. Uh, so we really appreciate her input and really appreciate the time that she gave. want to thank Vice President Tam. Um, we understand that he's under the weather, so... Definitely appreciate his input as well, and we work with him. And then also our Deputy City Attorney, Rob Kapla, for uh, his hard work um, on, on this and all the advice he's given us. Thank you all of you who have participated in this process. And all the builders, um, architects, and others that we got input from that have, in, that have given extreme real-world experience on how to improve this process. And then finally, I just want to make one small note. Uh, Supervisor Melgar's office will be making and proposing a friendly amendment about um, digital permits. Um, so we, we accept that and think that's a, a good review. I think Mike Farrow will be here today if he's not already here. But anyway, thank you. I'm happy to, I know the department is going to present, um, and I'm happy to answer any questions and get feedback. I saw an email this morning that had some of your proposed uh, ideas, so happy to discuss that. I don't know if I should turn it back over to the department. Oh, okay, and then I'll be right here. Christine Gasparic, Assistant Director, DBI, and thank you, Supervisor Safai, for uh, coming to present your legislation and for uh, your interest in working with us to improve the site permit process. Um, we have our slides. And as you all know well, uh, we're working with you uh, and our partners in planning in the Permit Center uh, with input from stakeholders to reform the site permit process uh, to make it, to clarify the process for our applicants and to make it a streamlined and uh, faster process. Uh, we have developed our proposed changes to reform the site permit process, and as you know, we held stakeholder meetings and a joint commission meeting last week, and we are working on our own legislation to codify that reform. So um, the ordinance that you're considering today, uh, in a nutshell, would amend the building code to add limits to the site permit application and review process. Next slide, please. And as Supervisor Safai said, uh, at a high level, these are our own guidelines uh, that would be added to the building code. Uh, these guidelines are included in DBI's Administrative Bulletin AB32. Uh, they're also outlined in a memo that Director O'Riordan issued to staff in March. Um, and the purpose of the site permit uh, is really to review preliminary conceptual and schematic designs and identify any major issues. Um, and as you know, the detailed plan review then comes in later stages when applicants submit their construction documents. Next slide. So uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of words on this slide, but um, again, this ordinance would take Director O'Riordan's memo to staff and the guidelines that already exist in AB 32 and put them into the building code. 
Next slide. So DBI staff uh, recommends approval of the ordinance with the following amendments. Um, the first amendment would be in section 106A 3.4.2 would require concurrent review of the site permit application while planning department completes its review and concurrent issuance when planning department issues any required authorizations, approvals, or certifications required under the planning code. And this amendment would conform with the goals of the um, of the um, interdepartmental site permitting reform project. Uh, that proposal will bifurcate the current site permit review process to substantially reduce the overall development timeline by standardizing the process and eliminating redundant stages during project and permit review. Um, and so this is uh, where the other effort is tracking right now. Um, we are not finished with that, as you know. We're still in the middle of that process, but this is currently what we're planning to do in our own legislation, and so uh, we are recommending this amendment for this legislation. Uh, next slide. Uh, our second proposed amendment is to remove section 106A 3.4.2.1 and section 106A 3.4.2.2. Um, as I discussed earlier, the contents of a site permit application exist in Administrative Bulletin 32, and the scope of site permit review is detailed in the memo from Director O'Riordan to staff. Um, and the legislation as proposed would codify that existing criteria into the building code, uh, which we feel could impede DBI's ongoing streamlining efforts because if we were if we need to change it at any time, then we need to go through a lengthy legislative process to amend that. Um, when we operationalize our interdepartmental site permit reform, we may find that we need to make changes to those guidelines. And uh, putting those guidelines in the building code would then require a months long process to uh, fix that and to streamline that review. Uh, on the other hand, if we leave it in an administrative bulletin, uh, there's still a public process to amend the administrative bulletin. It takes just a few weeks. It goes to the Code Advisory Committee, and then it goes to the Building Inspection Commission, so there's opportunity for public input and public comment. You will still see it. It's a transparent and public process, uh, but you know that's a weeks-long process versus a months-long process. So uh, thank you for your consideration. This concludes my presentation. Thank you. Is there any public comment on this item? Good morning, Commissioners. Henry Canelo with size, sit on the Code Advisor Committee. And uh, the site permit has been a bit of a disaster uh, at the beginnings. Uh, quite a while ago when you can get a site permit issued within a matter of a month or two. Now it's been taking six to seven months, if not longer. And, um, and uh, we've been bringing in, ask, questions were asked on the site permit process. Uh, plan check also include like PUC and DPW and other uh, stations that it really shouldn't go to. So I'm hoping this is going to really help uh, move it along because uh, otherwise there are some architects who are saying, no, we don't want to do a site permit, we want to do a full permit, taking the risk of uh, maybe having a permit, uh, the work actually being increased because of changes from planning and so forth. So I'm hoping that this will work out really well. And thank you, Supervisor Safayi and Supervisor Melga. Um, one other thing I do want to mention, by the way, about uh, the uh, website that DPI uses, there have been a bunch of... Uh, 
talk about that. And let me tell you, I think it's one of the best websites in most jurisdictions that I am involved in. The permit track system, system is fantastic, it really is. If you want to find out where your permit is, you can go in the permit tracking system and you will find out who's on it, what's being done, you get all that information out there. So uh, I think it's fantastic. And also even the PIM on the planning department website is really good. The one that isn't so good, unfortunately, is DPW. And that's where we're having a, a huge problem right now. DPW is taking months. And you're lucky to get a response. We'll get a response saying, yes, yeah, so we'll have somebody on it within a matter of a day or two or like next week. doesn't happen. You try to contact them, nothing happens. Eventually you have to contact somebody else who's above them and they come back, oh, don't worry, next week we'll get back to you and nothing happens. I understand it's supposed to be short of people. But things like... Minor sidewalk encroachments. That should be an over-counter permit most of the time. You should be able to go into on, this, on the second floor, DPW, and get a permit issued right away. The other thing is they're telling you, well, no, you've got to apply with those online. A lot of folks don't know even how to do this. It gets really complicated doing online, especially with DPW. Um, street, space, street space parking, you can get over the counter right away. Thank you. Good morning, Commissioners. My name is Mike Farah. I'm a legislative aide for Supervisor Myrna Melgar. I want to thank you today for your deliberations and thank you um, to Supervisor Safai for his leadership on this legislation. Um, one of the things that the supervisor wanted uh, you to consider is an amendment that she is considering to this legislation. Um, we didn't want to get into a situation of re-referral if it's amended at the Board of Supervisors, and I don't think we're in that territory. But um, because of the supervisor's previous work on the commission, um, I think she wanted uh, everything to be submitted electronically, and um, I think uh, it's a process you're uh, continuing to work with. I watched your meeting last week uh, at the Planning Commission, and I was very impressed with the deliberations you had. So in section, uh, paragraph line 21 on page two, and being submitted electronically after the words, the Planning Department is just something you should consider in your deliberations today uh, as you're considering this um, ordinance. Thank you very much. Good morning, Commissioners. My name is Ned Fenney. I'm the chair of the Code Advisory Committee. And I wanted to just state for the record that unfortunately the Code Advisory Committee hasn't had a chance to review this ordinance. And I know that all the members are welcoming having some document to actually react to, but we haven't had a chance to deliberate on it. So we're not prepared to give you our comments on this legislation. Um, I think there's an effort to actually uh, schedule a meeting for tomorrow where this is uh, the subject of choice and we'll be able to report uh, soon after what our deliberations are. So, thank you. Caller, you can go ahead. Good morning, Commissioners. Cyrus Sanandaji here with Presidio Bay Ventures. I just wanted to call in to both thank Supervisors Safai and Malgar for proposing this legislation and to reiterate the significance of the improvements that, that, will, that this 
legislation will bring about as it relates to housing reform and production. Uh, the site permit process has evolved into something that is absolutely unmanageable at this point and has single-handedly helped back thousands of units in the pipeline that we ourselves are involved with. Uh, we have two specific projects that have experienced site permit delays due to inter-department fighting uh, that it's dragged on for over two years on both. In one instance, due to SFMTA, and another due to the PUC. Uh, the extent of which these agencies have gotten involved and imposed their code review on what should be a purely simplified memorialization of a planning rule is, is beyond the acceptable norm. Uh, and this reform and this legislation will, will address that substantially and help streamline the process, uh, which in light of the fact that we have to deliver 83,000 homes uh, units, excuse me, over the next eight years under the new arena goals uh, is absolutely a So thank you for your consideration. Okay, thank you. Is there any additional public comment? Okay, I'm seeing none, commissioners. Um, could we bring up the slide deck that had the um, DBI's recommendations so we can refer to them? I don't think it's in my packet. Was it a separate panel? No. No, but it was emailed it was emailed separately yesterday afternoon. Um I just wanted to open this up to uh, fellow commissioners if they had any comments or questions. None? Oh, you do? Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, Commissioner Summer. Um, I think I was curious. So I know, I mean, we had, this has been discussed. We had, we had the meeting last week to talk about sort of a similar process that's been, um, another group has been going through to reform the site, proce site permit process altogether. I'm curious how this integrates with that. It seems like I suppose it is sort of separate. Is there is there efforts to sort of marry those two together, or is it just two separate things happening? I don't I don't know. I suppose. <laughs> Sorry. I'm I'm happy to to respond. I mean, from our work and our conversations with folks in the building, architect, engineer, larger community, we've been having this conversation for two years. And this is the evolution of that, that process that's, that's arising, that's happening over the last couple of months. I'm not familiar or integrated into that conversation. We know that from the conversation that we have, people have said, we trust DBI, we want things to remain in DBI, and we believe that simplifying the site permit process is the right way to go. So that's the path that we have gone down uh, based on the work that we've done. Again, with Sue Roser Melgar, other support, I mean, we feel like this is the right path. If there's something that follows in the coming months that could be integrated, we'll, we'll see what happens. And it seems like everybody <clears throat> agrees along those lines. I'm, I'm curious, and I don't know if maybe this is a question for Ms. Kasparik, is we have this AB 32, do we feel that 
is a co and and honestly, I would thank you, Ned, for coming up. I, I would like to hear what the code advisory committee. I, I personally would like to hear what they have to say about it. But um, do we feel like putting changing the code to mention this is does it change what happens um, to the users, uh, to our customers, as compared to just having AB thirty two available? I, d I don't think it does. Um, I, I don't think that this, you know, from my reading of this, uh, I don't think it conflicts with the larger reform effort uh, that we're working on with the other departments. Um, I, I don't think there's a conflict. That for us, it's just, you know, we, uh, once we uh, implement the bigger reform effort, um, and we operationalize that, uh, we're concerned that some of the things that are being codified here, we may need to change, you know, because once you operationalize something, and we found this with other ordinances, you find things that uh, aren't working very well and that you wanna change. Um, and we just went through this recently with another ordinance where we had to go through a months long legislative process to fix something that we discovered once we were operationalizing it. So our concern is that we implement our larger reform and that what's codified here is then, um, then we have to go back and change it and that's another lengthy legislative process. <clears throat> Commissioner Sadix, and then Commissioner Newman. Thank you, and thank you, Supervisor. Um, question, I guess, to the uh, Code Advisory Committee, maybe this is just an out loud question, is um, we typically get uh, a statement, um, a recommendation from you all, and I didn't see one unless I missed it in the, the documents here, but it sounded like you all did not have a chance to review this yet. Um, I fully support everything I've heard, especially from the supervisor, um, but I'd feel a little better if I got a recommendation, or if we got a recommendation from the uh, code advisory um, folks, but I guess that's just a comment, not necessarily a question, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna just leave it there. I appreciate the comment. Um, yeah, the, uh, the process uh, from our committee is usually a, a quite a robust conversation. Typically, uh, proposed changes go to a subcommittee. In this case, it would be the design and administrative subcommittee where it's a smaller group. They hash out any of the details or adjustments and then it comes to the full committee. So it's usually a two-step process for us. But um, considering the, the, uh, the speed at which we want to get this passed or, or at least heard, um, this special meeting is scheduled for tomorrow with the full CAC. And typically when there's a new ordinance, we invite representatives sponsoring the ordinance to come and introduce it to the committee so that we can focus on the issues quickly. So that's our normal process. And we hope to um, you know, perform that here in the next week or so. Yeah, thank you. Commissioner Newman. Um, I, I typically agree that um, Codifying makes a lot of sense as far as like accountability, but I'm interested in hearing from staff. Um, how long do you think you need as far as implementation to feel comfortable with making that next step? Thank you for the question, Commissioner. Um, we expect to implement the larger um, site permit reform around November, I think if I, if I recall the timeline. And so 
you know, what happened recently with another ordinance that we implemented. I think we, you know, we got maybe three or four months in, and then, you know, we started to find, like, the issues that we had to fix um, that then required legislation to go back and amend it. Um, so I would guess, you know, sometime next year, we could say whether or not, you know, we think that this belongs in the code. Okay. And, and just along with that, I'm sort of concerned with DBI holding responsibility for planning process. Uh, at the end of the day, the site permit process is a planning process, and they have an oversight group that is responsible for overseeing the things that they are responsible for. And I would like to see, I mean, I think we're moving in the right direction, but it would be really great to see um, this be a much more um, clear-cut uh, process like we have in so many other jurisdictions uh, throughout the state where plan it, you know, there, there's a planning process and you're kind of getting to your, you know, schematic design level and then you're going into your permit and building process. But I, in general, I think we're, you know, moving in the right direction. I am really excited about this. Thanks, Commissioner. And I will just, uh, um, say again that we, the, the larger site permit reform process, we're working on that legislation now. And so you'll have another chance to hear the, you know, to hear um, that proposal and to deliberate on that legislation probably in the, you know, next couple of months. Uh, Deputy Director Spar, could you stay up if you don't mind? Do you, I think that in the outreach and also in the Joint Commission meeting um, last week, we, we anticipate that that legislation is going to surface in the summer, is that correct? Correct. Okay. Um, my only question about one of your recommendations, could, if you just could explain the second one, amendment number two, in a little bit more detail, that you're removing these sections from the contents of the site permit application. Could you explain that in a little bit more? Uh, yes, yeah, so this would codify in the building code, right, the, um, the guidelines for site permit review that we already have in Administrative Bulletin 32 and that we already have in the memo to staff. Um, and so our suggested amendment is to remove these and, re and keep them in the Administrative Bulletin so that uh, if we do need to change um, any of these guidelines, uh, because once we operationalize it, we may find oh, we really should be asking this question or we don't need to look at this. You know, any of these little tweaks to make the process more streamlined and faster for the applicant. Uh, if, if this goes in the building code now, we have to go back through a legislative process, um, you know, to the Board of Supervisors to fix it. Um, and if we keep it in an administrative bulletin, we can, you know, we have a much more streamlined process for fixing anything that, you know, that isn't working well. So you're stating that if this is section 106A 3.4.2.1, which outlines the basically the site permit process and its review, if that was codified in the building code, that's the way it would have to be processed? Yes. Okay. Um, I've, I've spent a lot of time um, on this particular issue, probably more so than anything else. Um, and I think that this one section, um, I think, is the one thing that uh, is one of the strongest points DBI makes about um, 
their recommendation to uh, the ordinance that uh, Safai is proposing and Melgar is proposing. There's a lot of things in their ordinance that I, I do support um, in terms of streamlining the process, but um, it's been a it's been quite an effort between planning and building to move this needle and to to get concurrence on how this process is going to, um, you know, be really a different and a clearer path for applicants and something that's more predictable in terms of the timeline that they've you know committed themselves to. Um, I don't think we want to necessarily keep things the way they are. There's a lot of things that will stay the same. Meaning, I think you know the the concerns about the appeal process will remain the same. Um, but I think the I think this would I think this particular recommendation uh, would help at least. Um, provide the site permit reform process the ability to implement that. Um, it's it's, and the things that we've been addressing are very high level at the moment. It hasn't really gotten into a lot of the details that really need to be addressed at the operational level. Um, so I, I, I mean, I support the the amendments that DBI has proposed to uh, the ordinance. Um, there's a lot of things in the ordinance. I've, you know, t spoken to um, uh, Safai and um, uh, Jeff Buckley as legislative aide, which we can talk about in the uh, CAC. But there's a couple of things in there that I think also would, um, you know, to me, the purpose of the site permit reform process is streamlining um, what most other jurisdictions do for large scale complex projects. Um, in in a in a much uh, in a much less detailed review than has been done, and this, the the intent of it is really to look at a project and its conformity to its existing surroundings. There's some other things that San Francisco does, but I think those are some of the things that you know DBI and planning are still working through at the moment. I don't have any other questions, um, Deputy Director. Thank you. Is there any other um, commissioner questions or any other comment? I think based on what my fellow commissioners have sort of spoken to, the fact that we haven't gotten um, uh, the CAC's deliberation on this and their recommendations, and I have you know, my own that I would like to contribute at that meeting tomorrow, uh, that I've, you know, spent time going through this ordinance line line by line. Um, I have some questions about, so um, I guess question to uh, City Attorney Rob Kaplow, what's, what are our alternatives here? Uh, Deputy City Attorney Rob Kaplow, the Requirement under the code is um, that the CAC provide its input to the BIC before the BIC makes a recommendation, unless the ordinance is, unless that requirement is waived by the director and the president, um, and on the determination that the ordinance is non-technical or is non-technical in nature and administrative only. Um, if you feel that you cannot make that waiver and need to hear from the CAC. The options would be to continue the item to the CAC. That is, do we have the date scheduled for the CAC? 
there is a, a date scheduled for tomorrow that we there has not a confirmed quorum yet. But we would continue the item till the uh, code advisory committee can hear it, and if they have any input, determine whether we want to set a special meeting of the BIC to incorporate that input into your decision, or if you would prefer to waive hearing from CAC in advance and propose recommending the ordinance um, subject to CAC's input going directly to Board of Supervisors, that's another option. They would have to be, um, you would have to make that waiver on the record that uh, the BIC can hear it now um, without getting the input directly from CAC. So the option is we can continue it pending CAC's review is what? Yeah, you would continue okay. it to the um, uh, CAC's meeting, special meeting. Uh, Madam President, let me just state for the record, we were very clear quite some time ago about scheduling this meeting and just for the commissioner's question, um, I guess staff was not able to notify or get it recorded to schedule a meeting. So staff side, they did not schedule the CAC meeting. So we specifically asked to be here today knowing and asking for a special uh, a meeting of the CAC. We definitely want their input and their advice, uh, but we also don't want to keep delaying this process. This has been something we've been working on for two years, and we met for over an hour with the president, got her feedback, was gotten assurance that we would be scheduled for this meeting today, um, and so then found out after the fact that it needed to go to the CAC first, and that never happened. So we've asked for a special meeting. We're trying to get quorum for tomorrow. So I would ask you to actually make your recommendations pending the CAC's input. Uh, otherwise, we're waiting for another 30 days or whenever your next meeting is. We're going to be in the throes of budget. Uh, we have budget month next month. For the entire month, your budget will be coming along with every other department's budget. We have to spend hours uh, going over that, and I'm, I happen to be on that committee. Uh, so I ask you to make that consideration um, based on all the time, effort, and energy we put into and work with with your team. Thank you. Uh, Supervisor Salvati, can I ask you a question about sure. your budget meeting? How is this ordinance affecting your budget meeting? It, it does not. It affects my ability to work with you because we literally meet from early in the morning to late at night. We go through multiple departments every single day. So the mayor gets a tremendous amount of time to propose her budget. Board of Supervisors gets less than 30 days to comment on that. So we are literally working around the clock. So that's why we wanted to get this done. You asked for special consideration. You know, I wasn't going to be here. We didn't have that meeting last time. So here we are at 60 days. You obviously have 90 days. We certainly want the input of the CAC. That's why we're trying to get a special meeting on for tomorrow and get that input. So our options in continuing it is that uh, Supervisor Safai would have to come back in July? Uh, Deputy City Attorney Rob Kappel, I believe the options would be to, the, the BIC can make its recommendation now, uh, affirmatively saying we can make a recommendation without hearing from the CAC, but we direct the CAC to have a special meeting and provide their feedback directly to the Board of Supervisors. I believe that's uh, what I think uh, yeah. Supervisor uh, Safai is, is suggesting. Um, the other uh, recommendation is you would say we're not making our, our recommendation on the ordinance today. We want to hear and meet after the CAC meets 
to incorporate any feedback, and then we will have that recommendation to pass it forward after the CAC meets, either at a special meeting of the BIC or at the next regular meeting of the BIC. Um, Supervisor Safi, I mean, as much as I'd like to recommend for it to go directly to the supervisor, I think this commission has worked on this uh, site permit reform just as probably as much as, you know, any other um, entity has. Um, would, would a representative be able to attend June's meeting? I will say it out loud. I, I, I would like I, I would like to hear what the CAC has to say before providing a recommendation. And if we need to do it, I mean, I'm open to a special meeting if that's what is necessary. I, I, I'm not trying to hold up a process. I think we're all on the same page. It sounds like every everybody has similar concerns and is wanting to move things forward in the similar direction. Um, hey, you appreciate that. I think that's a a good solution. I mean, we could have this a CAC tomorrow and then call for a special meeting and then you all could hear this item after the recommendations. Certainly don't want to wait in, in, into June. I mean, it would be great to get you all back together as quickly as possible. I think that seems like a happy compromise so that the big is able to hear directly the deliberation and also for us to deliberate about it and you to have a meeting prior to uh, I think it's more of a schedule conflict, not really uh, an agenda conflict, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, it's tremendously. I mean, it's, it's hard to get things scheduled at the Board of Supervisors in June. So that's why we're trying to push. I mean, it's May 17th. Um, if you all have a special meeting tomorrow I'm, for the CAC, it would be great if you all could have a special meeting of the BIC maybe next week or something and, and, and get this over with so that we could then schedule it at the at the Board of Supervisors Land Use Committee. Okay. Uh, City Attorney Rob Capilla. Oh, sorry, Deputy City Attorney Rob Capilla. Um, I would suggest, especially if there would be a special meeting or uh, another meeting with the uh, BIC where the supervisor or his staff may not be able to attend, that if you have substantive questions now, um, to exhaust your deliberations now as much as possible in case the CAC comes back with pretty standard recommendation or up or down vote, then you would not have the chance to have the discussion with the <coughs> uh, sponsors. We should deliberate it now because why? Oh, I, I just believe if you have the opportunity to ask questions of the supervisor now in case it, a supervisor would not be able to make uh, the next pick. I mean, if you were to call a special meeting next week, we can make it. We'll, we'll find time to make it. That's fine. I have a question. Yes. The amendments proposed by DBI, what are your reflections on that? I mean, that? our immediate reaction to the to the first one regarding uh, planning, but doing as much as they can to review, I mean, we definitely take that under consideration. Seems pretty standard. The second one, um, you've heard my reaction in terms of putting it in the code. I mean, this is something that could have, maybe should have been done years uh, ago. Now it's being proposed. Uh, we don't have as much confidence in an administrative bulletin as we do as 
codifying the information. And so we think that that brings more surety, brings more light um, to the process. Um, it's much more of a public process, although there is a process for administrative bulletins. It's much more um, widely accepted and publicized uh, to go through a legislation. You know, unfortunately, this is something that's been building for years, and we feel like this is a lot of buildup. Um, so putting it in the code, I think, is, is we, we feel pretty strongly about that, but we're happy to review the recommendations further. Thank you. Yeah, I think codifying this is a pretty serious step. Um, and, and, and to some degree, I think the commission and myself supports something that, um, you know, would ensure a process, but I think as long as that, that process isn't working against um, the department operations and their flexibility, I think, is the message that we heard between, you know, yourself and then DBI. And, you know, my only hesitation is, one, I've, I have some detailed questions about the ordinance that I'm, I personally, I'd prefer to um, field those at the CAC because we have a number of um, experts on that, on that committee. Um, but there's just a lot of details that planning and building, I think, are still working through and don't necessarily have, um, um, they, 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 I don't think they've necessarily coordinated all those details. And a lot of this is on planning, but um, I think the only thing that I would have to say is I don't, you know, I think that, I think nobody disagrees that, you know, things have to change. So um, I would like to make a motion that we um, continue this at the CAC and schedule a special meeting. There's a motion. Is, is there a second? Second. And who, who made the second? Uh, Commissioner Newman, thank you. And so there's a motion and a second to, um, to continue this to item until the CAC meeting and to conduct a special meeting of the Building Inspection Commission. Um, President Beto? Yes. Commissioner Newman? Yes. Commissioner Shaddix? Yes. And Commissioner Summer? Yes. Okay, that motion carries unanimously. Thank you. Thank you. Um, next, we have item six. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't do public comment. Is there public comment on that motion? I'm sorry, public. None in person, any remotely? There, there's no public comment. Okay, item six, uh, discussion and possible action regarding Board of Supervisors Ordinance, file number 230371-2, amending the planning code to one, facilitate residential uses downtown by authorizing the conversion of non-residential uses to residential use in C, commercial zoning districts, and exempting such projects from requirements for rear yard, open space, streetscape improvements, dwelling unit exposure, bike parking, dwelling unit mix, and intermediate length occupancy controls, permitting live work units in such projects, streamlining administrative approvals for projects in the C3 zoning district, and modifying the dimensional limits on exemptions to height restrictions for mechanical equipment, elevator, stair, and mechanical penthouses, in addition to other requirements. Um, can I just interrupt real quickly? I need to take a quick break. Um, okay, sure. it, it, with me leaving, does we won't have a quorum? Is that um, can the, we can take up uh, like a five minute recess? Is that okay? It could be less than five minutes. or less. We'll we'll take a brief recess. Okay.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. This is a Building Inspection Commission meeting. We are on agenda item number six. Uh, Christine Gasparic, Assistant Director. Uh, I am going to, again, uh, defer to uh, our partners here to uh, provide kind of the big picture overview of what this ordinance does, and then I'll come back up and talk about um, the specific language. So I will introduce Jacob Bidliff from the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. Good morning, President Beto, Commissioners, Director O'Riordan, Jacob Bentliff with the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, speaking here on behalf of the Mayor's Office, one of the legislative sponsors of the ordinance before you. Um, and I wanted to provide a little bit of context before handing it back to Christine to go into some of the nuts and bolts of this. So this ordinance is a part of the mayor's roadmap to the future of downtown San Francisco that she laid out in her State of the City in February, which is talking about all of the strategies that we need to implement, including your department and other departments, the mayor's office, uh, et cetera, to uh, help our downtown and by doing so, the entire city recover from the economic impacts of COVID-19, of the pandemic. It's not news to anybody that our office attendance is down. This is having all kinds of effects on our small business ecosystem downtown, and there's a lot that we need to do to make sure um, that downtown can remain a uh, uh, active and vibrant economic engine for the city, which is what it has been. So where does this fit in? One of the nine strategies that's in that roadmap is around uh, facilitating more flexibility and uses in our existing building stock. So. This ordinance is actually speaking um, to two pieces of that. Uh, one is around general flexibility in the downtown uh, area in terms of the planning code, in terms of zoning. So uh, just to give you a few examples of that for your, for your context, this is not directly germane to the building code, but in Union Square, allowing for much greater flexibility of what uses can happen on the upper floors of buildings. Right now, you pretty much have to do you know, department store style multi-floor retail, which is not um, a model that is, that is, uh, that is people are interested in doing in a lot of these buildings, so it causes a lot of issues. It's allowing for more large format retail, allowing for formula retail on portions of market where that currently requires a conditional use. Um, Pop-up activations, allowing for flexible workspace models where you can have design professional services on the ground floor with a retail component. Um, making sure life science and labs are allowed as a use all throughout 
downtown and also allowing for uh, more housing in certain portions of downtown. In most of downtown, housing is allowed without limitations in the areas kind of going from uh, Broadway and up along the northern uh, waterfront. There are some limitations on density. Those would be changed so that housing is now form-based uh, throughout downtown, also allowing senior housing, residential care facilities, other types of housing, and also providing some streamlining for the planning department, the planning commission review process for um, housing developments and others, including some uh, moving some of the historic preservation tasks to administrative approval rather than um, from the Historic Preservation Commission and uh, waiving a series of requirements for new, con new housing construction projects so that they don't need to go to the Planning Commission as regularly uh, as they do now in the downtown. So that's flexibility uh, in terms of zoning and process downtown. The other half of the ordinance is what brings us here today, which is to establish a commercial to residential adaptive reuse program. That's established in the planning code. That's the term that's in the planning code. Here's what the eligibility is in the planning code, um, which, by the way, was this, this language was recommended by the Planning Commission a couple weeks ago on May 4th with a couple of modifications that I'll uh, mention. So the criteria in the planning code for uh, eligibility in this adaptive reuse program are you need to be in a C zoning district downtown. And um, if I can get the overhead uh, just for a moment just so we're all clear about what, uh, where we're talking about uh, geographically. So all of um, the red on here are different flavors of C zoning downtown. Basically everything, um, I think that's below Broadway right there. That's C3 and to the north of that along the waterfront is C2. So this is for in all those areas, that's where the adaptive reuse program applies. It does not apply anywhere else in the city. So I just wanna be clear when I'm talking about these C zoning districts, this is the geography that we're talking about. Uh, so that's the first criteria. Also, the projects to be adaptive reuse, they cannot be uh, seeking any uh, additional height or waivers or exceptions under the state density bonus program or under our local density bonus program. So you're sticking with the height and zoning and bulk, the requirements that are in our code if you're going to use this program. Um, and also, there is a recommendation from uh, both staff and the commission that you can remain eligible as an adaptive reuse project with up to a 33% increase in the mass of the building. That could be horizontal, that could be vertical. Um, obviously, that's one thing to talk about that in the planning context. It's another thing to talk about that in the building context. So um, I want to be clear that um, the, what we're doing in the building code in this ordinance is, a step, is basically enabling language for your staff and your CAC and you all as the commission to adopt an adaptive reuse manual. It can take the form of an administrative bulletin that spells out the appropriate equivalencies and standards and existing um, exceptions or alternatives that already exist in the code for adaptive reuse projects in terms of building code compliance. You know, if there's a case where a project is adding a certain amount of mass that's okay from planning's perspective, they'll say, yeah, sure, you can use our procedure as an adaptive reuse project even though you're adding maybe a floor or maybe some, some amount of square footage, you know, horizontally. Um, it will still be up to the DBI and the BIC and the CAC in the contents of this manual to determine when there may be triggers for adding anything beyond the existing envelope um, that will then determine what the appropriate standard is in terms of the building code. So I'm just trying to make clear that just because the planning code is saying you can be adaptive reuse up to 33%, it doesn't mean that every single project that could potentially use all that envelope and of course, the, you know, what was anticipated is this would cover, you know, maybe it's just a, a penthouse on the top or something like that. Um, that that doesn't necessarily mean that the building department has to treat every building that's a current existing shell with a 33% expansion the same as it would treat 
an alternate, an adaptive reuse project just within um, the shell. So I wanted to, and we can certainly talk uh, more about that, but that was an important piece of what's a, uh, what happened at Planning Commission. Um, yeah, and so the meat of the building code um, language, which you know Christine will go over, is again, it's establishing um, a process that uh, staff, building staff, fire staff, will come up with um, these alternative standards, these equivalencies that will then ultimately need to go through the CAC and BIC approval before they would be adopted and they would live as an administrative bulletin that could be you know, changed by staff um, over time as needed. So what we're asking for today with this ordinance um, is for that enabling language that that process can really move forward to continue. A lot of good preliminary work has happened and I really wanna thank your staff, uh, Christine Gasparg, Neville Pereira, um, a lot of folks at DBI, folks at the fire department who have been um, putting a lot of time already into helping us identify uh, what we can put in this manual um, to help some of the underutilized office buildings um, be able to convert as easily as possible into housing so that we can contribute more mixed use and vibrancy into, into the downtown. Uh, I wanna also mention that the building code language uh, highlights the California Historic Building Code, which is existing law that already is applicable in San Francisco and other jurisdictions. The language proposed before you in the building code would simply specify, clarify that that is available, it will be implemented um, as it is required to by state law by building and fire when a building is an eligible historic resource and that that determination will be made by the planning department as to what buildings are an eligible historic resource. So buildings would have the option if they qualify to use the California Historic Building Code, which lays out its own set of adaptive reuse standards, or if they're not eligible for that, they would be using this administrative bulletin that would be enabled by the language uh, in this legislation. So to conclude, I wanna be sure and thank our legislative co-sponsor, uh, Board President Peskin. Uh, we're very pleased to be working together on this as a key piece of what we think we need to do um, to keep downtown on track uh, as a foundation of our economic recovery. And um, as I mentioned, this went to the Planning Commission on May 4th. Uh, we're here with you today. After the, your commission has concluded your deliberations, this would next go on to the Land Use Committee uh, and the full Board of Supervisors. And then in parallel, the development of the actual administrative bulletin would be going on um, as, as directed by your staff. And I'm here for any questions and also joined by folks from the Planning Department if you have more questions on the planning side as well. So thank you. Thank you, Jacob. Um, can we pull up the slides for this item? Uh, so again, this proposed ordinance is, uh, will amend the planning code and building code to support more residential uses downtown by facilitating the adaptive reuse of commercial buildings. Next slide. Uh, how it is currently, the building official and fire code official are authorized to consider alternative building standards um, consistent with section 17951 and 19957 of the California Health and Safety Code. Next slide. So this uh, ordinance would create section 111A of the building code entitled adaptive reuse. And it would direct us to work with the fire official to develop an alternative building standards manual, which would provide the building standards applicable to commercial residential adaptive reuse projects. This could either be in the form of a manual or in an administrative bulletin. Next slide. Um, and that would include technical information and implementation parameters and standards, as well as other rules and requirements uh, for implementing the intent of section 111A. Last slide. 
Um, and I want to note that the Code Advisory Committee uh, heard this and recommended approval at its May 10th um, committee meeting. And the department also uh, recommends approval of this ordinance. And if you have any technical questions, we also have with us Janie Chan, who's our technical services manager, um, who could come up and answer any technical questions or also talk about the, um, how we're gonna develop the manual. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any public comment on this item? Is there any, any remote public comment? Oh, there is public. Commissioners Ned Finney, um, Chair of the Code Advisory Committee. Um, Christine, I wanted to make a correction. I don't think there was a motion to approve the ordinance. There were other motions. There were a total of five. And your packet had a letter of four of those motions, and I think Thomas uh, forgot the fifth motion. Um, if you'd like me to go through those, I'd be happy to go Could through those. Could you go through you. all of them? Yeah. <clears throat> so this was heard at the Structural Subcommittee, the Administrative and Design Subcommittee, as well as the full committee. And um, we, uh, there was quite a bit of discussion about this. Um, this is a, actually new territory for the Code Advisor Committee. And so there were a lot more questions and concerns about how this was actually gonna get implemented. Um, but the, uh, the, the four motions uh, that were made at the Structural Subcommittee and also um, reiterated by the Code Advisory Committee are as follows. The first one was that the, um, the CAC and the SAC do not support relaxing the seismic triggers for structural improvements on renovations of buildings of two-thirds of the floors are affected. So um, uh, the, uh, the idea being, and this has been a, a code uh, requirement for a better part of 40 years in San Francisco, that when a major alteration happens to a building, that the uh, building shouldn't be put back into service with a seismically deficient system. So the idea is that the, when you do a major renovation, you fix the structure at the same time so we get the seismic safety built in into the bones. Um, the second one was to uh, use uh, essentially the San Francisco existing building code and the AB process and not have a separate document, uh, a separate set of rules, but actually incorporate any changes that need to be made into the administrative bulletin or to the uh, existing building code. Um, the, the third one was, um, uh, was actually kind of down in the weeds on the seismic, um, but to um, reiterate the ASCE 41 process for calculations of the structural systems and their capacities. And right now, that's a document that not many uh, structural engineers are using. and uh, there are uh, many alternative methods for calculating non-structural items in that, in that document, and that we'd like to see your support in sort of uh, getting that message out to the structural engineering community. And in that effort, the fourth motion was to organize a series of training workshops through the department and with SEONC to help uh, smaller engineering shops that probably aren't using ASCE 41 to implement the provisions there and to see projects that have used that document to get the structural systems to calculate correctly. And the fifth motion was that the, the committee at large did not support relaxation of any building code requirements in this effort and that equivalencies could be worked out, but yet um, uh, 
not rolling back the code just for these uh, just for these particular projects in these particular zones. I think that the a um, uh, couple other comments that came out they weren't motions per se, but there was a lot of concern about the resources and the effort to create a new model code. We don't have we have a process where we react to the state building code. We also write a, f a few San Francisco amendments, but generally they are reactions to the state code. And we're, frankly, we can't actually relax the state codes in any way. We can actually make them more restrictive, but we can't relax them. So our hands are tied on the state code. And if you look at the code books, San Francisco's code book is about half an inch thick. <laughs> the state building code is about six inches thick. So there's quite a few regulations that, that are essentially state requirements and we don't have the authority to roll those back. Um, there was also some discussion about other jurisdictions having a, um, having a document that essentially was a roadmap for applicants to follow. And I think that there was generally uh, no resistance to that. In other words, if someone put together a manual that uh, that extracted certain provisions from all the different code documents, administrative bulletins, uh, different, you know, different model codes, ASCE 41 and so forth, that that information could be assembled into a manual or a document or a brochure so that it would help applicants sort of uh, shortcut to, the, to the, the meat of the matter in terms of renovations, that I think there was generally support on our committee for that, but there was no formal motion to that effect. That's all I have for today, but if you have questions, I'll be happy to answer them. Um, could you stay up for a moment, sure. then? Um, I know that, and I have not, due to my schedule, been able to attend a lot of the CAC meetings, but I know that Commissioner Summer has been very consistent about this, and this is really kind of in, um, I, I just wanted to, to defer right first to um, Commissioner Summer as a structural engineer. I have my own comments. Thanks. Um, I did attend the structural subcommittee meeting and, and heard and, and talked a little bit about <clears throat> the items that were recommended here. And I just wanted to clarify, and I wasn't able to attend the code advisory committee to hear the larger discussion, unfortunately. But um, I, I realized, and I actually read the whole ordinance after attending that meeting. <laughs> so now I'm like, oh, um, <laughs> a couple of things coming into play here. Um, the first recommendation that you guys, the, the, the Code Advisory Committee had regarding not supporting relaxing the two-thirds seismic trigger, um, I, I agree with that. That's, it's, it is a little in the weeds, meaning there's nothing proposed right now that is saying that, right? Is that, That's correct. Oh, okay, okay. That's it's correct. just trying to note, as we go through this process, we don't think we should ever be doing this. Exactly. Got yes. It. Okay. Yep. And, and that was, I just wanted to make sure I understood that and I and I agree with that and I think some of the discussion at the at the subcommittee meeting structural subcommittee meeting was you know obviously you're going to get into discussions of how do you make this economically feasible for people to do it you know while still making it attractive and you know um, basically make these projects be able to pencil out and you know so obviously there's a lot to this ordinance on the planning side that mm -hmm. frankly is just like you know, a little overwhelming um, for, for me, structural. Um, so, you know, I'm focusing on these structural items um, and, and seeing, you know, you will, I think, and Ned, this is where you guys are getting to, these will trigger seismic 
um, you know, upgrades. If, if it's a if it's Potential. a full building upgrade right. where it's vacated, and you're completely changing the occupancy and removing all the walls and so forth, it's going to trigger the two thirds right. upgrade. Right. Yeah. So I mean, there's once again the two thirds upgrade to a model code that calculates to seventy five percent of forces for a new building. Sure. So it's a it's a diminished standard for a renovation right. from a calculation standpoint. Right. But still, I mean, there's seismic discussions, I guess, and, and as soon as I just as the structural engineer on projects like this, I know that as soon as we start to have these discussions, you know, obviously there's cost implications. Anyway, um, now I'm in the weeds. Um, the other item I wanted to mention was, oh, um, yes, I mean, I think you guys were basically providing some thoughts on, it sounded like the support was there, Mm -hmm. that let's move forward in this process. I agree with that because the process, as you had mentioned, is this is asking to say, can we go forward here? Is the, or you know, do we recommend going forward and um, creating some sort of, we're calling it a manual, but I know the group and I was also struggling with that word a little bit, manual. You know, we have administrative bulletins. We have codes. I don't, I don't know if we have precedent for manual, but maybe I just don't know. Um, whatever, some sort of guidance to people wanting to do this that um, describes the process and talks through what is appropriate and what the department deems appropriate for these types of conversions. I support that, and I think the recommendations that you all provided are sort of getting ahead of um, you know, where that manual or AV or whatever might go and saying, we think we, it should go in this direction. People should be probably encouraged or start talking about ASC 41. Not everybody knows about ASC 41, so we might want to do some training or some outreach or some mm -hmm. other discussion about that. So I thought all these made sense to me. Um, obviously, this is not the last time we're going to be talking about this. Um, so maybe I will just leave it there and say I thought the discussion was good and I, I'm, I'm on board. I mean, I think listening to the discussions or motions that the CAC made, I, I, um, I support. I, I mean, I think I, su I support those. Not that I think, but I do support them. I have some questions though about um, the thing that's a struggle with, and this is relaxing is not the right word, but um, the seismic requirements. And I'm not a structural engineer; I'm an architect. Mm -hmm. Those are usually the most cost prohibitive on some of these buildings. So. I don't know how that's going to be weighed against, or how that how that's sort of calculated in 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 how you look at these, because, you know, as um, licensed engineers and licensed architects like yourself and myself, we use the code as, you know, it's not necessarily black and white, but it's not it, it, it's not a it's not a document that we necessarily have the opportunity or the right to relax it has to be processed mm -hmm. so in terms of cost implications what, what what did you get did you talk about some of those discussions and some alternatives to to the seismic requirements i mean i think that is pretty to me in in the weeds and we're going to start to talk about specific buildings and you know i don't there, there's a lot that goes into that discussion and i think that will be one of the probably cruxes of the discussion as whatever manual ab whatever is is formed um and, and what that what the implications of that mean but i think i guess what the code advisory committee was saying and i agree 
we're going to have a hard time or we're probably not going to want to justify changing major seismic requirements for these particular projects. We hold this standard for all other projects. And, I mean, and that was the discussion as it stood at that time. I, I yeah, think the general feeling was it would be a huge step backwards in safety implementation in San Francisco. And I don't think we would disagree with that. My question, and this is really to the presenter, and Ned, you can stay up there if you'd like, but um, a couple of things that would have helped this presentation, and um, Commissioner Newman uh, broached this New York Times article, which I, I had a chance to review. It was a great article because it had um, really good visuals on um, what types of buildings were best suited for these types of conversions. Um, I think what have helped the presentation is um, there are firms like um, architectural firms that have done studies in depth of this uh, in major cities, and I know they've done some in, in San Francisco. I think it would have been helpful as part of the presentation and just instead of talking to us about areas of San Francisco is to have that mapped out and maybe propose um, whether that's um, a, a property owner that's particularly interested or use you know, a handful of case studies where uh, the viability of these conversions would be, um, uh, you know, a good candidate for this program. Um, so I support the motions the CAC makes. The only question that I have, having gone through this, and one of the things, uh, I think the guideline is helpful just from any, and I don't necessarily support another code for another type of a building type, but I think that um, because it's a new type, it's actually not, ne it's not necessarily new, but b this is a new ordinance. Um, having some guidelines that an applicant can, can use to uh, help them process some of the issues that, uh, that the CAC anticipates, and I would consider that guideline a working document that you would update as these projects come through. Um, and some of the things about, I think that we're part of the presentation where alternate means and methods for um, uh, you know these these conversions in terms of the building codes. I think some of those things would be also good. One of the things I think as an architect that's a l sometimes frustrating is that um, you'll work with an agency on a alternate means and methods mm -hmm. with the assumption this has been approved before because it has, and for some reason on your project it hasn't. So, um, and for whatever reason, so it becomes very subjective. But, you know, if there's some examples of those types of now, and I don't know, that, that does get into the weeds and can put sometimes a building department, you know, in a precarious position saying that we've approved something like this. But I don't know how you would address that with a conversion, or maybe that's something that Director Reardon you can speak to, but, you know, with some of our. Yes, um, absolutely. I think uh, it's important to maybe create a, a visual representation of what's what the discussion is here, so we can you know have a better understanding as a group. I'm speaking more to some of the consistency in in AMMRs. Well, you know, I think to um, to to the to the way my way of understanding it is. There are a lot of differences in these buildings, and um, you know we're going to be looking at a, a plethora of different scenarios. So I think we want to approach it like from um, a high level as much as possible, and not get into the 
the details that might surround these differences in these buildings, because they're they are all different. Mm -hmm. So, can I um, offer um, something? Absolutely. Here? Um, one uh, comment I heard at uh, in our discussions with that was that the state was actually contemplating creating a document that is a um, alternative means and methods document for converting to residential buildings. And uh, when I heard that, my imagination immediately went to the State Historic Building Code because that's the one firm document we have from the state that said you can do equivalencies. And it puts the burden on the applicant to demonstrate that it's truly an equivalency. So um, to uh, Director Reardon's um, point, that helps an applicant adjust for their particular project and then meets to confirm that the department is in agreement with that. But there are a number of documents, uh, a lot of it is in ABs, that could be pulled forward into an informational document mm -hmm. that says, hey, if you're gonna convert an, uh, a multi-story, high-rise level building, and uh, these are the things to consider. Here's the sprinkler ordinance, Here's the, and here are all the different documents that you can point to, and give them essentially a roadmap. I heard several people comment about that at our meeting, that that would be a useful document to have. So um, in that regard, the term manual being not a, uh, not a uh, necessarily a legal document, but a roadmap document, I think there was general support for that idea. Maybe not a manual, but a guideline, a director. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, uh, it's the, when you think about how we name this thing, is it a manual, guidelines, is it a checklist? I mean, it. It's probably a combination of all those things. Uh, yeah, I'm less concerned about what it's called and more that it helps the applicant so that they can understand what are some of the bulletins, to your point, would mm -hmm. be relevant to their project and also some of the landmines that other applicants might have had to face when in a similar project before they sort of delve into uh, the design of the project. Yeah, I, one comes to mind in the separation of stairs. A lot of these office buildings have historically not had the separation of the stair towers. And there is a document to say, here are the equivalencies, how you do it for office. But there's no uh, document, to my understanding, for residential uh, buildings or conversion to residential buildings. But that kind of language could be brought forward and say, hey, yes, the city believes even in a residential project if your stair towers are not separated and you provide these other layers, sprinklers and alarms and so forth, um, that has been deemed an equivalency. And there shouldn't be any reason why we shouldn't be telling applicants that ahead of time instead of saying, here, it's buried in one of these 70 AVs to go pull forward and try to figure out how to do your project, especially for out-of-town architects who don't know about the AB process. Totally agree. Yeah, and you know, a lot of these buildings, they are what they are. You don't have that separation. You have these uh, uh, restrictions in regard to how you might normally comply with code. So, you know, there are, you know, ways of, with sprinklers and firewalls and different other ways of finding um, mm -hmm. compliance as an, an equivalency to the, the, the general requirement. And that, that information has been accumulated over the years with lots of vetting and discussion and actual real-world cases. Um, but to create a brand new document from scratch without the sort of R&D, um, I think there was generally not a lot of support for that within San Francisco. Commissioner Newman? Well, I generally um, support uh, providing more flexibility to make these uh, changes. The reality is not every 
uh, commercial building is suitable for um, being reused uh, for residential. Um, and there are some that are more usable than others, and I, I think that the flexibility here is really important so that we can fully explore those things and we can sort of see the change that we really need in those areas of the city to really revitalize them. And I think to that point, just like we've seen um, from other architectural studies, there's some, there's sort of, a, they've mapped out the best candidates for those conversions. So I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a hard lift for this particular ordinance. I do, I, I do agree with, um, Mr. Fenney's recommendation about pulling together certain bulletins or uh, you know policy pieces, if that's what you call them, so that an applicant can understand these might be this might relate to you. I do understand that you know as architects, every building generally that we work on is a case study. It's a new project, but there are certain things that um, you know I've faced in an alternate when when you're you're basically defending it. You're defending it an AMMR or a mod where the situation might be similar and the equivalent might be similar, but the interpretation of that is just different. So that's where I think, um, you know, it, it just circles back to all of our discussions about having consistency and review. There um, also the um, uh, pre-permit uh, approval process, which is particular in San Francisco, which addresses adaptive reuse directly that also could be brought forward and said here this is how you do that when you have something where you you're scratching your head and say well how do I fix this coming into the city with your plans and say this is our, our proposed equivalency those conversations usually generate a lot of well in another building recently we added a fire pump oh okay now we're equivalent or we added a better uh, alarm system than was required by the code minimum that that is that's approved as well. So I I think there is a methodology. I think for people who are um, new to San Francisco would absolutely get lost in the process of trying to find where is that information. And we've been working in the Code Advisory Committee to move as much of that information into hard written ABs in order to make it more visible, more transparent, and more out there. And if the, another document was created to even make it easier to get to that, um, I think the the CAC would have. Uh, support that. Are, are you, in doing so, are you working in coordination with DBI on this? Like how they, how, I mean, is this something that you would post on the website? How, how I mean, we if you We haven't seen the, we haven't seen a definition of the process of how it's actually going to get written. That hasn't been discussed. No, no, no. When, when you're pulling together uh, administrative bulletins that are germane to a particular mm -hmm. project type, um, yeah, the technical services department actually creates a draft and says uh, to the, our subcommittees, here, here are all the germane sections of the code and here's the, the draft interpretation and so forth. And then we review that and sometimes it's three or four rounds of re uh, revision until we get it. Uh, but right. for a new applicant coming into San Francisco, if they want to do a conversion, is that something that the technical services get, provides them? I'm sorry, I don't, I don't process No, I was referring to... Uh, creating a document, an AB that explains how to get an equivalency for a certain condition. Oh, I was talking about, I thought you were also talking about a way to compile, you know, a series of uh, bulletins or documents that m might be germane to a conversion, not just how do you create that. 
Yeah, exactly. So the creating of that document might end up in an AB that says, oh, hey, if you're converting I see. office to residential and you're in this district per this ordinance, here are all the uh, ABs you might want to take a look okay. at about how you address exiting, how you address firewalls, how you address I uh, see. fire okay. escapes and so forth. Sorry, I, d I think I misunderstood. Okay. Director Rudin, sorry. Um, Thank you. I think pre-plan check is a big part of this conversation too because in pre-plan check we have two engineers sitting at the counter and if the applicant comes in with a, a proposal, I mean, they will be able to see if it likely will, will, will work. And I mean, that should be considered in any manual or any guidelines we have or we put out there too. And, and, and uh, many times, fire is also invited to that meeting so that the fire issues can also be addressed. Right, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I totally understand and, and uh, agree with Commissioner Newman's point about flexibility, but sometimes that word concerns me because that flexibility also means that that might work against the applicant if the plan checker has so much flexibility in interpreting something and they don't have any guidelines or, they, or they're not using precedence in a consistent way, then it becomes more difficult than, and, and, and the thing about this is, it's like I said, the next time we hear about this, this should be really mapped out in San Francisco and maybe understand a number of buildings that are the best candidates for these. Yeah, the, the words relaxing and waving are scary words for me. Um, I mean, I, I, I would be more thinking about creating equivalencies in a roadmap or whatever we want to call it, manual, and uh, giving, giving folks the ability to kind of try to understand what they need to do to make these buildings work for the adaptive reuse. There was also um, uh, some discussion about um, having the technical services uh, group go through the code and look at uh, San Francisco ordinances in particular and pull out um, things that no longer are applicable, it's sort of a weeding of the process. So for instance, uh, Fire uh, mentioned that they uh, wouldn't be needing gurney-sized elevators, right? And, um, and when we finally got into the discussion, it turns out, well, the technology is because there are gurneys that now sit up and don't have a big footprint of an elevator. Well, when you're... Um, but that's still in the code that you need the gurney size elevator. So things like that that could be pulled back out of the code that actually might you know, benefit significantly the, the uh, renovations and reuse of these buildings. That's a great example. Commissioner Summer? I don't want to stifle the conversation, but it seems like a lot of it now is talking about a process that is sort of down the road. Do we want to, <clears throat> and, and my conclusion here is it sounds like we support moving this forward, do we, should we? I, I would support moving it forward with the CAC's recommendations. Agree. Any further questions? Okay. No, yeah, thank, okay, you. thank you. Thank you. Bianca. So that, is, that, is that your motion, Commissioner? Oh, sorry, uh, Commissioner Newman had a question okay. or okay. comment. I didn't have a question, I just had a comment. It seems like more, the streamlining is really more on the front end for planning so that you can actually, um, understand that you possibly have a project here that you can convert and that um, there's a lot of technicalities as, that we have to work out on the planning side. So it's really getting an understanding of those equivalencies. Um, um, one, um, one other comment just came to mind that was discussed. Um, a lot of the economic viability of these projects is the ability to expand the building. 
and um, and uh, to Jacob's point earlier about the planning code allowing for these expansions, there's probably not as much um, written in terms of ABs about well, what do you do with the new part versus the old part? And the economic viability is you can spread those renovation costs over a much larger square footage and it becomes more viable. So I think that it might be useful to have uh, maybe a small working group come up with ideas of like, okay, well, if you add five stories to this six-story building, and I don't know if you can go that far, but if you significantly add it or demolished a significant portion of the building, built it back, and then added your 33%, what would, what would the equivalencies be in that type of project? And maybe there are a couple projects that are model projects that that group could study so that we could then form perhaps an AB that says, hey, if you're expanding per this legislation 33%, um, these are some different equivalencies that we haven't considered before. So that was discussed, but there was no motion or actual direction on it. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Commissioner Newman that at a planning level, just like we've been talking on the site permit reform or the development uh, review permit, um, they want to take a much more, uh, take a higher level approach to projects so that they can process them with more expediency. I think in this particular case, you don't necessarily want to add more requirements, but on a conversion like this, it would require an architect and a developer. It would be up to the developer to really pursue the 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 economic viability of this, whether it was seismically, mm -hmm. um, you know, any number, I would, I just think structural is going to be one of the big cost uh, prohibitors, but that would just leave it, you know, some responsibility on the applicant that it's really, you know, on your shoulders to understand this in, in depth. And I don't think that the planning process would preclude that or the building department would. So. Yeah, that was where we went to ASCE 41 because the seismic, there are ways to actually calc your building and get benefit from some of the existing things like foundation work. That's not crystal clear. It's way in the weeds on that document. And that's where we think that supporting um, some training about that, about how you actually calculate the building, that it actually might make some of these projects more feasible than they are right now using a prescriptive method of calculation. Great. Okay. Um, Director Rudin, do you have something you wanted to say? It looks like you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking as we were going along here. But I, I think the conversation hinges a lot around the, the, the financial cost of the seismic work and the structural work vis-a-vis, -vis, uh, you know, um, you know, everything else, because that's, that's really where it's at as far as I can see. And what the expectation will be then in regards to what will be necessary, and I mean the ASCE document is probably instrumental in that, mm -hmm. to your point. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, and we, we can, you know, put all those documents together in one place to create, you know, a, a, a roadmap for the stakeholder to be able to figure out if these projects are going to pencil for their buildings. Yeah, some buildings have good bones and some buildings don't for residential. Yes. So the, helping a developer get to that answer before they spend a lot of money is a first step in that so that they're not down, you know, on step number 10 when they figure out it doesn't really work. Agreed. Yeah. Commissioner Newman, thank you. I was just going to say, you know, I, I'm an affordable housing developer, but, you know, I'm looking at viability of, of builds all the time and 
uh, the seismic stuff, you know, there's trade-offs because there's insurance requirements and it's whether or not, you know, you're looking at whether or not you can get a building insured. Like those, those things also play a vital role in this. And so, um, you know, maybe there are some developers that would like to take shortcuts, but I think generally um, you're looking to, you know, protect your asset. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Insurance and finance. <laughs> Think so. There was so. Did you you had a you made a motion, Commissioner Summer? Oh. Oh, and there's more comment. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Lily Langlois with the Planning Department. I, I just wanted to mention that um, Spur and Gensler did an analysis of about 40 buildings downtown, kind of looking at the qualities. That's sort of the level of information that we have right now. Um, right now, within the Planning Department, we have one application for a conversion project at 988 Market Street, and I think the hope is that through passing this legislation, we will have more applicants come forward, so we have a better idea of what the landscape is and kind of what the changes need to be made to help accommodate these projects. Yeah, thank you. Um, do we need to make a motion? Is that? Yes. Oh, do we need to do public comment? Did we already we, do? We did public comment. Oh, so do you want me to make a motion? I would like to make the motion to, um, are we, what are, what's the motion that? To, to support the legislation. Okay. With, uh, probably with the, along with the code advisory committee. I just didn't know minutes. that we're just supporting it, but there's no I mean, vote is, it's gonna be a vote. Okay. Supporting the legislation is voting on it. Okay, yeah. so I'd like to make a motion to support um, the ordinance with um, the recommendations from the CAC. There a second? A second. Okay. So there's a motion and a second. Um, the roll call vote, um, President Beto? Yes. Commissioner Newman? Yes. Commissioner Shaddix? Yes. And Commissioner Summer? Yes. Okay, the motion carries unanimously. Thank you. Um, next, we're on item seven, update on unpermitted awning complaints and community outreach. Good morning, Commissioners. I'm Patrick Hannon, the Communications Director for the Department of Building Inspection. Thank you for the opportunity to present to you on the awnings uh, compliance outreach. Um, if you could bring up the slides. Uh, we're going to talk today about a general update, um, and then your next agenda item is actually about the legislation uh, that is being uh, proposed for you to consider. Um, but I'm going to walk through a little bit about the legislation right now. Um, the Code Advisory Committee has voted to approve uh, the legislation with the recommendation around the fees that we'll talk about in a moment. Um, the Board of Supervisors and Mayor would be expected to approve it this summer, and we would actually start implementing the program in August or September. Uh, there have been a couple revisions to the legislation. Um, they're good, smart changes. The first one is it extends uh, the deadline, the window for the program from December 31st to June 1st. This will just give applicants a longer period of time in order to take advantage of the program. The second one is that it allows for the waiver of fees, permit fees, um, related to corrective work that's required to bring an awning into compliance. We don't want to make people go away and go through and having to come back. So while they have to go through the same process, they have to use a, uh, they have to present plans, they have to use a licensed contractor. Um, we're going to waive those fees and we'll try to do it as part of the same conversation rather than telling them to go away and come back separately. Next slide, please. Now, one other thing I want to note is that most of the fees are waived under this legislation. Um, there are a few fees that we couldn't waive. 
Um, they are related to the Board of Appeals surcharges. These are the fees that are charged for, um, help support the Board of Appeals um, operations. Um, these are appealable permits. Um, so the three fees are for the Department of Building Inspection, Department of uh, Public Works, and for the Planning Department. Um, there's two other fees that would continue to be assessed. Um, one is the state strong motion instrumentation fee. This is for seismic monitoring. And another one is the State Building Standards Administration's Special Revolving Fund, which is really around green building standards and outreach. Um, these are the same fees that we currently uh, assess during the awning fee waiver month of May for Small Business uh, Month. Um, and they generally total just under $100. Um, so the, the applicants are still getting a significant savings. Um, these are just fees that would require code changes either at the state level or in a completely different um, part of the city's code in order to make that change and would impact operations of another city department. Next slide. Now one of the things that we're doing, we're in the process of sending out a letter. Um, the letter is to go to all property owners who received a notice of violation or a complaint for the property for having an unpermitted existing awning. The letters will go out in four languages, English, Chinese, Spanish, and Filipino. The letters really make four key points. The first one is that enforcement is on hold. We wanna let people know that it's okay and that we will be circling back, but for right now, they don't have to worry about uh, further enforcement occurring. The second one is that it highlights the legislation that we just spoke about, which is sponsored by Mayor Breed, Supervisor Peskin, and now Supervisor Stefani has also signed on, saying that it simplifies the permitting process, it removes the requirement for contractor engineer drawings, it also waives permit fees and penalties. Um, it states that the program will be open through June 1st, as we just discussed, um, and that we will get back in touch with them when the legislation is in effect and they can take advantage of it. Next slide. Um, we've walked you through a, a website that will go live when the uh, legislation is, uh, is enacted, um, but for right now, we've actually put up a new website to give owners the opportunity to prepare the documentation they'll need in advance if they so choose. Um, it's up on the website right now and just provides a little bit more information about what we just talked about as well as the details for how they'll be able to get a permit for their existing awning once the program goes into effect. That concludes the first, uh, this agenda item. So I'd like to pause and just see if you have any questions before we move on to the next. Um, I just wanna say I don't particularly have any questions because I think that DBI has done a, um, uh, an exceptional job of addressing this in an unfortunate situation. So, um, but I'll, Commissioner Summer, you had a question. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask, I recall, and I don't, I don't think you reiterated it today, this, this, was, this all started because there were a number, a large number, an inordinate number of anonymous complaints regarding awnings throughout the city this year. Is that true? Correct. It started in November and it ran through about the middle of March. We had a much higher number of complaints around awnings, anonymous complaints <coughs> that were seen as impacting the business community that was really still trying to recover from COVID and a lot of the issues that you discussed earlier today. Is this, and, and maybe this is more of a question for the next item regarding the actual ordinance, how does this affect people, you, you wanna get a new awning. I'm a new, I just bought something or whatever and I'm going to install a new awning. This does not affect, it doesn't appear to differentiate or, or does it? It's, this is really about existing awning. Okay. Who are the people that had the complaints and the notices of violation applied to their properties. We do have May fee awning waiver month sure. um, as part of small business month where you can come in and you can get your fees waived for a new awning or a replacement awning. And I think for the people that this is serving, which are small businesses, I think this is uh, this program is really beneficial to them. So thank you. 
Okay, thank you for your presentation. Is there any public comment on item seven? Hi, Commissioner Henry Carnillo. It's uh, the majority of the complaints were, by the way, in Chinatown. Uh, and so there was a big, huge meeting about this, and people were very, very upset. The other area that got a lot of complaints was uh, Tenderloin, of all places. You wouldn't think so. And the other one was right out there on Ocean Avenue. Really strange, and they're all anonymous, so we didn't know where they were coming from. We really ap appreciate this from small business about these uh, getting these um, unpermitted or uh, awnings uh, uh, do not uh, meet uh, current codes. The only question that we sort of have is like right now, uh, it says if an awning does not meet applicable building code provisions, the property owner must pull a standard building permit to perform any corrective work to remove or replace the awning. The only thing is uh, how do we find out which ones and What's the process for that? We, we don't know about that. I'm, I guess it's going to come down later on down the road, what the process is going to be for doing that, because that's the only thing we don't know. Do we? I, I had a meeting with um, uh, Supervisor Peskin's aide about this, and he said, well, as long as we fill out that one form, we can just take a photo, and that would, that would do it. But I don't know if that's what is going to happen, so that would be the only question I would have about this. But otherwise, I think it's great that this has been done. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Is there any remote public comment? Okay, seeing none, we will uh, then go to agenda item eight. Um, discussion and possible action regarding Board of Supervisors Ordinance file number 230447, amending the building and planning codes to create a temporary amnesty program for unpermitted awnings that streamlines the application process to legalize awnings waives applicable fees and confers legal non-conforming status for awnings that do not comply with the planning code in addition to other requirements. Thank you, Commissioner Patrick Hannon with the Department of Building Inspection. Uh, the building code regulates the installation of awnings. They're they are attached to structures, um, and so we would need to make sure that they are fastened uh, properly and that they're properly strong um, in order to withstand both um, wind and other, and other impacts, gravity, frankly. Um, and other things that could impact something that is sitting above people's heads as they walk by on the sidewalk. Um, the planning department also has a role in reviewing uh, awnings um, as part of compliance with planning code section 136.1, as well as various different zoning requirements uh, in the city. So as mentioned before, uh, this would create a, a temporary amnesty program that would waive the enforcement of inspection uh, application and, and fees under the, both the planning and the building codes. Um, and so to allow people to legalize existing awnings uh, mm. during the program's duration, but also streamline the process, uh, but it would not waive any compliance. Um, so anything that is required to make sure that the, the awning is safe, you still have to do. Um, to answer Mr. Karnilowitz's question, um, the way it's set up is that under the streamlined program, is somebody would come in and we have online, we have what's called a dimension photo, um, where they have to provide certain information within the photo um, that would allow our staff to review along with a, a, a building, um, a sign application, 
Um, that would allow us to get the key information so that we can make a determination whether it's safe and, and gonna be, um, meets the building code standards. During that actual desk review, if, if the staff member identified that there was something that wasn't code compliant, they were using little wood screws instead of the required size screw for um, the fastening of the, the awning to the structure, that would actually be identified at that moment, and that would be the, the time when they could come back through and say, okay, hold on a second, you need to go get this fixed. Um, but because they would have started the process, those fees would be waived when they came back through. Similarly, if the, if the non-code compliant element was identified when the inspector went out there and conducted the site inspection, again, they would be able to get those, those fees uh, waived, but they would have to go through the standard process of filling out a building permit and, and uh, getting a licensed contractor or architect to help them with the plans and install any additional work that was required. Uh, the, the next slide. The Code Advisory Committee did review this item uh, and they made a terrific recommendation, which would be that we would waive the fees related to DPW and fire as well. You know, we took a look at the, um, the legislation and we confirmed that the DPW and fire fees would be waived because they are permit fees and that the only fees that would continue to apply would be those surcharges that we talked about earlier, as well as the state fees that we talked about earlier as well. And that concludes our presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions, but we'd really appreciate if you'd be willing to support this legislation. Thank you. Is there um, first any public comment on this item? Um, any remote public comment? Oh, you, Mr. Okay, go ahead. Just a quick one. The, the Code Advisory Committee was actually quite pleased at the department's response in coming up with a very, very creative solution for this. It's a very uh, nasty situation where someone's sort of got a vendetta out on a lot of small business owners. So we really appreciate all the efforts that Christine and Patrick and uh, Director Reardon has done. It's it's a model for what can happen when everybody wants to work together. So hopefully on a lot of these other processes, if we can be as creative with those as we were with the amnesty program, we got really good things coming. So thank you. I want to find my few words, so I just want to echo exactly what uh, Ned just said to it. We really appreciate DPI working on this to get this resolved, and we're really pleased with it. Thank you. Commissioner Sumner? Or have we closed public comment? Is there any, any remote public comment? No, seeing none, then yes, Commissioner, discussion. Uh, Commissioner Sumner? I have perhaps an unkind question. This is for existing awnings that are found non-compliant. I fully support all of the things that have been said, and I think we should support this. Is there something, and, I, and I'm not, it's adding it to the code to talk to talk about what to do and fees being waived and whatnot. If you are now pursuant to my question from the last item, if you're installing a new awning, does it behoove you to now install it with no permit and then come back and do this process? There are always going to be people okay. that find loopholes uh, <laughs> and good intentions. Um, yeah, but the fact yeah. is, is that we want to solve for the people that feel really negatively impacted. Yeah. And if there are people that decide to take advantage of that, then uh, we're going to take that hit in the, the effort to support the people and help the people who need our help. Deputy City Attorney Rob Kaplett, there are also provisions in the uh, amnesty uh, that relate to the planning code 
which would, because there are uh, content restrictions or size restrictions in the planning code for certain signs, and a newly installed sign um, would not get those grandfathering provisions, so it would still be out of compliance with the planning code. So there, there are reasons not to try and go out and install an awning uh, to comply with amnesty. Um, I'd like to make a motion to support this um, ordinance to amend the building code and planning code to create this temporary amnesty program for unpermitted omnings. There's a second. I'll second. There's a motion and a second, and we'll do a roll call vote. Um, President Vito. Uh, Commissioner Shaddix, did you have something you wanted to add? Oh, no, I, I was hitting the wrong button. That was oh, a second. Okay. Sorry. I thought so. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, yes. Okay. Um, Commissioner Newman. Yes. Commissioner Shaddix. Yes. And Commissioner Summer. Yes. Okay, that motion carries unanimously. Okay, um, and again, as announced in the beginning of the agenda, um, item nine is stricken from the agenda. We're on to item 10, discussion and possible action regarding recommendations on the site permit reform process. Um, I think that the only thing that, one of the things that came out of that meeting from uh, last Thursday, which was a really positive meeting on a lot of different fronts, is um, with the new, uh, with the legislation potentially uh, surfacing this summer, um, I think one of the things that would help uh, applicants and the public really uh, understand the changes that are happening at DBI is that we start tracking those metrics. Um, and personally, I'd like to see those metrics start at the point of the fees being paid and or the submittals. And I understand that there's a lot of um, time that's spent you know, prior to this at at planning, but that should be part of the calculus because that is one of the things about bifurcating this process that planning is taking the permit first and then doing a concurrent review. So I think understanding what the differences are between what before November when this is actually adopted, but but DBI slowly, you know, implementing changes as as the months continue. Agreed. Um, we've already started working on um, uh, figuring out what the data is and uh, showing the change from before to now. So happy to work with the commission and provide you with that information at an upcoming meeting. Okay. Um, I know we're not at the agenda for the next meeting, but that would be potentially one of the things that we would want to add to that. Um, I wanted to open that up to uh, other commissioners for discussion or suggestions and other ideas that coming out of that Thursday meeting, which was, you know, um, it, was, it was my first joint commission meeting and I thought it was uh, great to hear from the planning commission and also from, from all of you. Any, any other comments from fellow commissioners? Uh, Commissioner Shaddix, I'm recognizing you. Um, it was a great meeting, and it was great to hear from planning, um, and thank you to all who put that, coordinated that. The, the two things that jumped out from there that I'm curious um, where it's going to land is there was a lot of discussion about PG&E and a lot of discussion on DPH, and uh, so is that following, is this tracking along with us as we move this process forward legislatively, and are we going to hear from those 
um, either at one of those agencies? Are they going to come here and talk about that? Or, um, but I, I do support everything that you know we uh, we had talked about last week. But I'm I'm just curious where where they're at because there was certainly that was the the common yeah cause we're, there. We're working very closely with um, DPW in regard to the public works um, conversations, and they are in communication with PG&E more than than we are. So. We're, we're, you know, focusing the conversation on those those particular challenges that were identified at the joint meeting, so. And I think to your point, Commissioner Shaddix, it's actually one of the things I wanted to talk about on the next agenda item for the client services meeting. So, um, you know, your uh, points will taken in terms of, there was a lot of, um, concerns or frustrations from architects that have to deal with these issues that spoke up that day. So I, uh, I think it's something that we want to continue to track. But DBI in, you know, separate meetings that, you know, I've had with Commissioner Tanner, we had, um, I'm not sure, was it a client services meeting that we had that? Or I think they came to a client services meeting. So at, a, at the most recent client services meeting, uh, public, public works, fire, and other um, agencies here in San Francisco were very much on board with that process. I um, don't remember that meeting, to be honest. But uh, it was in the 49 Van Ness recently when we invited Fire and um, EUC and PW and Health Department. Oh yes, yes, that yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. I think it was at a client services. We've been in so many meetings, I've lost track. Yeah. But it was at a client services. It was meeting. a late Thursday <laughs> afternoon <laughs> meeting, I think. <laughs> I'm starting to get meeting out. Okay, but we did have. They did come to the table and. It was a really good discussion. They were all on board. Now, you know, uh, at these meetings, we generally have to keep things at high level, but, you know, I'm guilty as an architect that we do get into the details, and it's really in the details that things are solved. So um, I, I don't mind hearing the platitudes about, you know, we're working on this, we're supportive of it, but the question now is how you're going to do it. So, but I think, you know, DBI is sort of, these are different agencies that the DBI isn't responsible for their work necessarily, but I, I think that DBI certainly could provide leadership as, you know, the main point or the nexus of all this, uh, of the building permit. Yeah, I mean, I see our role as a coordination role and in so far that we can be collaborators and ensure that, you know, we can create a, a defined process. Okay. I don't have a particular action, but what I would like to, to see from DBI are the, the real metrics of uh, submittal times from the date of submittal, the date of payment, to permit. Commissioner Newman, did you have a question? I was just going to say I completely agree with that, and I think anything we can do to um, publicly hold people accountable um, being our partners and all of that is going to just help improve this process because um, they don't uh, clients don't often see what's happening behind the curtain and so anything we can do to sort of open that up and and uh, hold those accountable who are holding up the process um, is really important and it also facilitates ensuring uh, transparency well hopefully that'll make uh, the leadership uh, 
the job of the leadership at DBI also to some degree easier because <clears throat> numbers don't lie, right? So if things aren't moving in the direction that you'd expect in the time frame that you expected in uh, meeting the goals, whether that's 30 or 60 days to get a letter out, that's, that's, that's within the same cycle of review that that's something that you know would make DBI's job easier in terms of tracking. Agreed. Um, I don't have any further comments to that, but uh, I um, I don't know if we have to make a motion on that to 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 see that on on the next agenda, uh, Mr. <laughs> what were you talking about the just getting this just getting the data and the stats on the permitting times. Uh, Deputy City Attorney Rob Kaplan, you not need to uh, make a motion for that. Just feedback to the department for next time there's an update to include metrics. Okay. Um, I know it's we're not in public comment, but but uh, Ned Fenny raised his hand. Is he allowed to speak? Um, are you are you you guys done with the discussion? Then he can come up uh, for public comment because there's public comment on every item. Oh, okay, that's okay. right. Is there any other comment? Comments from the commissioners? Okay. Okay, so public comment for item 10. Um, the uh, site permit reform process um, has been going on sort of in parallel to the ordinance that is going to be discussed at tomorrow's meeting. And I think it would be uh, a good idea to have someone from the department talk about the reform process at our meeting at the same time uh, tomorrow because uh, it might influence how they react to the ordinance that's at, on, on the table. So you might want to consider having uh, a representative discuss the progress and the process on the site reform process in addition to the ordinance and being considered. And hopefully we have enough time to get it actually on the agenda um, before that. Anyway. Well, it's sort of, it's part of, it's part of that discussion. So I don't know if it necessarily needs an agenda item because it, you know, does it, uh, City Attorney Kapla? Uh, Deputy City Attorney Rob Kapla. Um, it's part of the context here, and certainly the um, <coughs> the two ordinances or the two efforts are not mutually exclusive. It's not as if you have to adopt one versus the other. They they would dovetail and not create a conflict. So you can discuss the um, legislation in the context of other efforts but you would not be able to agendize an item that hasn't yet been um, introduced yeah. by the board. So That's we a, couldn't make a motion on the reform process, but we could make a motion on the ordinance. Yeah. But I'm taking one. Okay. And I don't think we necessarily want to make the reform project uh, another agenda or else we, it's, yeah, part I, of, it's part of the discussion. But I think people might want to know what's going on because that will influence how they react to the ordinance. Well, the question is, Director Reardon, are you available tomorrow for this meeting? Uh, I'm not sure if I have availability on my calendar, but if, uh, if I can't, I will have somebody attend. Uh, either you or Neville would be good to talk about that process. Yeah, one of, one of us can be there. For okay. Sure. That'd be great. Thank you. Good suggestion. Thank you. Okay. Is there any further public comment? None remotely. We're on to item 11, discussion and possible action regarding future agenda items for the client services subcommittee. Um, I have a suggestion for the client services committee. Um, the at the 
joint meeting last Thursday, it was the last few slides that talked about, and to Commissioner Shaddock's uh, question about the other departmental reviews, um, I'd like to speak, I'd like to, re I'd like to discuss uh, or put on the agenda how we're coordinating with other departments, um, just on a, you know, monthly update at the client services because planning has their own um, scope of work and purview of the site permit. Um, and at the, at the joint commission meeting, a lot of it rested on planning's process and even in the outreach, a lot of it focused on planning. But I think um, here at the big for obvious reasons and also at the client services, we can focus on how DBI is working with other departments to um, coordinate their efforts uh, to change how they review these projects for a site permit. Yeah, I think that's a good conversation to have and I'd be happy to engage in that. And I think that would be great to have, you know, updates. They don't necessarily have to attend every meeting, but it was great to have them at the last meeting to hear from them directly. But I think uh, just as I mentioned earlier, maybe maybe more specific specificity on the types of things that they would do um, from... <coughs> whether it's a policy standpoint or an operational, and, and mostly I'm concerned with operational. So any, any other comments from other commissioners or questions that you would like to add to that or any other um, thoughts from the Thursday meeting? Okay, that's my suggestion for the client services agenda. Okay. Did I state that correctly? Uh, yes. Is there any public comment on item 11? Seeing none, then remotely. Okay, then we are on to item 12, um, commissioners, questions, and matters. We'll read uh, 12A and B, 12 uh, commissioners, questions, and matters, 12A, inquiries to staff. At this time, commissioners may make inquiries to staff regarding various documents, policies, practices, and procedures which are of interest to the commission. And item B is future meetings and agendas. At this time, the commission may discuss and take action to set the date of a special meeting and or determine those items that could be placed on the agenda of the next meeting and other future meetings of the Building Inspection Commission. The next regular um, BIC meeting is on June 21st. Um, I'd like to make a, a suggestion on the next big meeting is to, which I stated before, is to agendize um, data on the permitting uh, permitting times, and then the second agenda item is to uh, discuss the takeaways um, from our discussion of the client services with respect to other departmental review. Commissioners have any other items? Uh, Deputy City Attorney Rob Kappel, I think we should also memorialize that we plan to set a special meeting on the uh, item five. Oh, yes. Do we have to pick a date now? Can we do that later? Uh, it would be ideal if we could at least pick the, if it's going to be next week. Um, Does it have to be next week? Well, it depends on, on when we, we would like to hear it. I think if the CAC is going to hear it before the end of the week, if we know um, to set a placeholder for Wednesday or of next week or the week after. But 
we should at least inform the public that we intend to set a special meeting between now and the June. Oh, so we do we need to do I need to agendize that or? I think we need to take a vote in addition to these uh, discussion items that you propose for the regular meeting. That the BIC's intent is to hold a special meeting between now and at least the uh, June regular meeting. We do have two commissioners not in attendance, just in terms of the actual scheduling. Yeah, so I would like. We can make a mo can we make a motion that we'd have a special meeting but not set a date so that Sonia can coordinate schedules? Yeah, I, I think so. I, ideally, we would set a date, but we at least need to make a motion that we intend to have a special meeting between now and the June regular meeting. Okay. So, do I need to make that motion? Yes. Oh. So, I'd like to make a motion to have a special meeting between now and the next uh, regular scheduled BIC meeting. Um, and also include uh, the two other agenda. Do I have to motion the other agenda items I stated? No. No, no those would be for the regular okay. meeting. Yeah. Didn't think so. Is there a second for that motion? I'll second it. And are all, com uh, all commissioners in favor of yes. this motion? Yes. Any opposed? No. Then that, that motion carries. Okay, is there, um, could the commissioners have any other items for the regular agenda? or you can reach out to me at any time you do. Okay, is there any public comment then on items 12A or B? Okay, seeing none, um, item 13, uh, director's report, 13A, director's update. Patrick O'Reardon, director of uh, DBI. Um, I wanna start by going back to the site permit conversation and I wanna thank you for your uh, your, the productive meeting we had last week, and I, I just want to applaud your thoughtful deliberation on what is a very important conversation, so uh, thank you for that. Um, over the past three years, we've made a lot of improvements at the department, and I can honestly say that it's a different organization now with better, better customer service, better permitting and inspection processes, and Probably what's just as important is better morale amongst the staff. Um, but I truly believe the reorgan that reorganizing the site permit process is going to have a major impact on how we do business, how we measure our progress, and how we serve the public. This is a key reform that will help us meet the mayor's charge to cut the permit, uh, the permit processing times for housing by 50%. Um, as you know, the site permit process reforms will come back to you uh, for a vote this summer. In the meantime, uh, please let me and my team know if you have any questions or additional feedback. Again, big shout out to Team DBI for all their work and efforts. Uh, you guys are amazing. Um, so moving on, next topic is uh, as you know, uh, probably, well, maybe not everyone knows it, but May is Building Safety Month, and uh, I want to call your attention uh, to the fact that Mayor Breed uh, will be issuing a proclamation this month for Building, for building and Safety Month, uh, a time when building officials around the nation reflect on the nature of our work and our role in providing public safety in the built environment. Um, Deputy Director Neville Pereira, who is not with us today, he's attending um, um, training, um, hosted a small celebration for staff last week and uh, like to uh, thank and acknowledge his staff's work. Um, 
We worked with Mayor Breed's team on a proclamation reorganizing the importance of our work and how it helps protect our residents and support our city. Uh, I want to thank all of you on the commission for your commitment to building safety and helping us to uphold these values every day. That concludes my director's report. Okay. Thank you. Um, next is item 13B, update on major projects. Can we have the slides, please? Thank you. So, um, the following slides are intended to highlight the volume and valuation of projects costing uh, five million or more that have been filed, issued, uh, or completed in the past month. We will profile a few projects that bring especially high value in terms of their contribution to the housing, to housing and, and uh, community assets. Oh, can I have slide two, please? There we go. Uh, in April 2023, we issued two high-value permits with a valuation of $26.6 million. Uh, one permit was for an office tenant improvement at 600 Battery Street. The other was for the renovation of the 6x6 mall at 945 Market Street by uh, Inca Centers, which uh, will, in fact, house uh, the new IKEA. Um, and um, lastly, uh, DBI, there we go. Uh, lastly, DBI final for high-valued projects. Uh, these completed projects have a uh, construction valuation combined of $149 million and have added 417 new housing units. Um, one of the projects was 141 units supportive housing development at um, 410 China Basin Street, and another was for 130-unit affordable housing development at 681 Florida Street. Thank you, and uh, I'm available for any questions. I have one question. Sure. On these major project reports, can we, in the future, incorporate some of the data we're talking about, especially when it comes to, like, um, office tenant improvements and housing, just to understand some things we're talking about or we're trying to pursue in, in, in the timelines for a lot of these major projects, is that possible? Yeah, we can, we can look at doing that, yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, next is item 13C, update on DBI's finances. Hello, commissioners. Alex Koskinen, Deputy Director, Administrative Services. I have the monthly financial update. Uh, next month, we'll have a more significant update. June 1st is when the mayor releases her proposed budget. And then, as you heard from uh, Supervisor Safai in June, the supervisors review the mayor's proposed budget and make their, make their changes. So June and July will be significant updates on budget. But for now, um, I have the regular update. So we are 83% of the way through the year, 80% for labor because it only labor only posts every two weeks. And um, our charges for services, our, our major revenue source is 76% collected, so behind where we would like it to be, where we expected at the beginning of the year. And the story remains the same from February, March, April. 
We had seen a spike in December. We were hopeful that that would continue, but it looks like that was just people trying to file things ahead of the code change. So next slide, please. These are the, the uh, numbers that reflect the narrative on the previous page. And we're expecting to end the year about 10% below budget for revenue overall. Uh, this is still, we believe, a conservative estimate. And we are hoping that, uh, um, that no, no further uh, revenue declines will, will happen. Next slide, please. On the expenditure side, we continue to underspend and manage our, our spending to the degree possible. Uh, we're projecting significant savings, unfortunately not enough to offset the revenue shortfalls, but we're doing what we can to manage. And we believe that we'll end the year about 4% below budget, so about $3.2 million savings. This is, we believe, a very conservative estimate, and we are very hopeful to realize additional savings on charges, uh, uh, service charges from other departments. We are seeing less workers' comp expenditure than um, we had budgeted, so there, there's various savings. Light, heat, and power is usually consistently over-budgeted, so we're hoping for some savings there. Uh, but we do think that we will end the year on an overall deficit. Next slide, please. So here are the, the numbers that reflect the, the narrative on the previous page. And um, one thing to note is that this buffer that is helping balance our revenue shortfall, we, in our department budget submission, we made significant reductions to our expenditure budget to reflect future, our ability to, to save. And so this, this cushion will not be there next year. So we have reduced our revenue budget to hopefully reflect what we believe reality will be, but we will have le less flexibility. The flexibility we have this year, we will not have next year. Next slide, please. So on the, the permit front, which is a good proxy for revenue overall, uh, we've shown all year that permits have been 10% lower than the same time last year. However, valuation earlier in the year had been the same or higher than last year. And now we've kind of, last year has caught up to this year and we're about the same. So 10% lower and almost 10% lower valuation. Next slide, please. So really what had helped out this year was some large projects in December. Um, the, you, can, you can see the, the highest two tiers, uh, especially the, the highest one, one or two big projects can really make a big difference. Um, but everywhere else, every other category, the valuation last year is at the same time um, through May is, is higher than this year. And very notably, the five to fifty million dollar range, um, five forty-five million dollars, same same time last year versus three twenty-one this year. Um, so again, budget. We do not next year. Next month will be a more significant update. The mayor releases her budget on June first. 
We don't know what will be contained in that budget until they make it public. We're out of the budget system. They, they don't share that with, with us or other departments. And so we will update you then. And, but they have told us that um, they are, the, the fee study is not complete, but they are, they have, they're implementing a solution for next year's budget. They will not leave revenues as they have been. They, they will make some change to fees and they will let us know what that change will be on June, they will confirm what that change will be on June 1st and we will update you then, but they have told us that the fee study should continue and that the time pressure is now off and we can take our time and really make sure that all of the underlying assumptions are, um, are correct and we, we have the time to do it properly and make sure all the details are, are correct. That is my presentation, next slide. Thank you, I'd be happy to answer any questions. Do my fellow, do fellow commissioners have any questions? I don't have any questions necessarily, but I think it's demoralizing that you're below budget, but you're still in a deficit. So I think that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, we're saving what we can, but we're a labor heavy department. The majority of our expenditure is, is on the labor side. So those costs are what they are. People's salaries are what they are. And, um, we were, again, hopeful through the first half of the year that uh, the small deficit that we have been projecting would be covered by expenditure savings, but that, that deficit grew after December and just revenues have slowed. So that, that's out of our control and it, it is what it is. But in the next budget, we have significantly reduced our revenue estimates to account for that so we won't be in the same place next year. Does, does your department study operationally how DBI, if they change their practice, like if this site permit reform, you know, creates a more efficient process and people are spending less time getting through projects. I mean, I understand salaries are salaries, but that's sort of like a sunk cost. But I think the overall um, uh, message or um, objective the mayor has is trying to make San Francisco a much friendlier place to build. So I don't know how that, from an operational standpoint or analytical standpoint, in terms of you know cost, if that would help at all. That's a very, very difficult question to answer. We've reached out to the controller's office of economic analysis to try to figure out, is there some way to project uh, the effect on um, the willingness to build or if projects pencil out of, of the site permit reform process, I think you all would know better, better than us or our experts would be Neville Pereira he would probably have the most insight into what projects are coming and, but you all have hopefully have your ear to the ground and do you have any sense of revenue impact? Will people, will site permit reform cause more permits to come in? Um, well, I'd be, we'd, we'd, we've been asking many people what their opinions are, reaching out to, to builders, um, but it, it's very difficult to, Project, 
people say, oh, I don't know, we'll see what the process, what happens with the process. And, and timing is important too, so people say, yeah, it will, it will make projects more likely to, to happen, but will they happen next year and five years? And it's, it's, it's very difficult. I understand, and I understand that the you know market forces aren't in DBI's control, um, and we're seeing indications in the market, especially in the office, like where at least presumably the floor might be. But I think that this is a time when things are potentially not as busy to start working on how to make the processes more efficient, so that we don't hear anymore as a standard uh, commentary from uh, applicants that DBI is like the worst place to process a building permit. So, you know, in the time that, that things, you know, are slow and your revenues are down, that, that this is the time to sort of revamp, revamp your processes. Sure, and there's a lot of work that's happening. Uh, Patrick Cannon is doing a lot of work on the website. We're digitizing a lot of paper mm -hmm. forms and we're re-examining workflows. So there's a lot of work that's happening between us, planning, the permit center, uh, and we are we are taking that the time to do all those things. And I'm just stating something you probably already know. All the things that we're, we've been working on have an impact to your bottom line at some point. Yes, and uh, I'd like to point out a lot of the ordinances that, that come before you that you hear, they have an administrative cost, but they often don't have uh, provide funding for them, stuff like first year free, accessible building, in, uh, uh, program, or entrance program, facade, uh, the the windows, the analysis that we had to do, these these all involve administrative costs that the, de that the department needs to bear, and I just hope everybody can keep that in mind and advocate for um, revenue sources to be added to those types of legislation going forward. Okay, thank you. I don't have any other comments. Thank you. Thank you. Next is um, item 13D, update on proposed or recently enacted state or local legislation. Good morning again, President Vito and Commissioners. Christine Gasparic, Assistant Director. We can go ahead to the to page two. I'll go over, we have a lot of legislative activity in the last couple of months, um, and I'll just do a quick overview of the ordinances that we're working on. Um, the ordinance to amend the building code to require an expanded facade inspection uh, for buildings constructed after 1998 with 15 or more stories. That uh, passed the Board of Supervisors yesterday on the second reading and will uh, go to the mayor for consideration. Uh, also yesterday, the ordinance to create a permit prioritization task force, um, that was also heard yesterday on the second reading. I didn't get an update on uh, the outcome of that, uh, so we can update you on that at the next meeting. Slide three. Uh, the ordinance that you heard earlier today uh, to create a temporary amnesty program for awnings um, that you approved will uh, go to land use and transportation um, next. Next page. And then this is the uh, adaptive reuse ordinance that you heard this morning, and that will also uh, go to land use um, now that you've made an uh, 
now that you've taken action on it. The ordinance amending uh, the codes to, uh, this is the Small Business Month uh, annual waiver of awning replacement fees. Um, you recommended approval of this at the April meeting and that's been assigned to land use. Uh, and I believe that uh, was heard earlier this week and it was approved and is now on, on to the Board of Supervisors. And then uh, the ordinance for the site permit application process sponsored by Supervisor Safai that you heard this morning. I don't need to give an update on that. Um, uh, next slide. So this is a hearing to review monitoring and oversight of city and county contracts with uh, the Todco Corporation. Um, and the DVI um, aspect of this is we were asked to report on the number of historical complaints, uh, housing complaints filed against Todco buildings. Um, we had prepared to um, speak at that hearing tomorrow, uh, but that's been continued, uh, we believe, until July. So um, we'll give an update on that when that happens. And then finally, um, Supervisor Pe or President Peskin had uh, called for a hearing on the emergency safety response for high-rise window breaks. He has since um, filed that hearing request. It's not going to move forward because we worked with him on the legislation um, that was passed to the board yesterday. On the state legislation front, uh, just a reminder of the legislative deadlines. April 28th was the last day for committees to report fiscal bills to appropriations. May 5th, the last day for committees to report non-fiscal bills to the floor, and uh, this Friday is the last day for fiscal committees to hear and report bills to the floor. And finally, uh, a couple of uh, state bills of interest, uh, AB 1532 by, by Assemblymember Haney making office of residential conversion projects by right. Um, that didn't make the deadline, and so that could be resurrected in January of 2024. Um, and then AB 1114, this would be, uh, this would make uh, permits, uh, post-entitlement permits non-discretionary, um, and that passed in the assembly and will next be heard in the Senate. And I'm available for questions. No, the questions, okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, next we have item 13E, update on inspection services. Uh, good morning, Commissioner Beto and Commissioners. I'm Matthew Green, Acting Deputy Director for Inspection Services. I'm pleased to provide an update on our activities and performance. Um, see the first video. In April, the Building, Electrical, and Plumbing Divisions conducted uh, 9,965 inspections. 97% of those inspections were conducted within two business days of the date requested by the customer, uh, meeting our target of 90%. Um, next video. In the same month, our housing inspection services conducted 1,123 inspections, with 229 of them being routine inspections of multifamily housing. The building and electrical and plumbing divisions received 446 complaints and responded to 99% of them within three business days, well exceeding their target of 85%. Our code enforcement division sent 65 cases to director's hearing. Our housing inspection services received 24 safety and heat complaints and responded to 
88% of them with one business day. They received 325 other complaints and responded to 90% of them within three business days. Housing Inspection Services also abated 377 cases with notices of violation and sent 39 more cases to director's hearings. Um, thank you. I'm available for any questions you may have. I don't have any questions. Okay. Questions. okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, is there any public comment on the director's report items 13A through E? Okay. Seeing none, next item is 14, review and approval of the minutes of the regular meeting of April 19, 2023. Motion to approve. Is there a second? second. There's a motion and a second. Is there any public comment? Um, seeing none, are all commissioners in favor of approving the minutes? Aye. Aye. Yes. Any opposed? Okay, thank you. The minutes are approved. Next item is 15, adjournment. Is there a motion to adjourn? Motion to adjourn. Okay. And it, the time is 11.46 a.m. We are now adjourned. Oh, second. Anybody second it? Second. Motion to second. <laughs> We're adjourned. Thank you. <laughs>